Rise and shine for National Biscuit Month with Hardy's famous buttermilk biscuits. Made with love from scratch, fresh all morning. It's not the easy way, but it's the right way. Hardy's goodness in the making. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We were the most attacked, uh, like, fob in the country at the time. There were close calls, everything, every day, all the time. The bad guys knew exactly where you were. You were supposed to do stuff in like the daylight. You were supposed to be like nice and engaging and sit down and have tea instead of like kicking indoors. And we're getting rocket shot at us every single day. And what happened is something at the top malfunctioned. The helicopter and the jettisoned down at maximum speed, hit the bottom one, wrapped itself around the rock pillar and threw everybody and everything out of the helicopter at, at warp speed. Our guys are taking shots. Those are bolt action rifles. What's your location? And so he starts reading out the 10-digit grid. He got through the first five, and then he got the sixth digit. I heard a shot, and he stopped off. Didn't hear anything, didn't hear anybody respond. And ultimately, bad things are going through my head. I'm like, he got shot. Like, that's what happened. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant, we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent nine years in Naval Special Warfare, specifically at SEAL Team 4, conducting three combat tours uh, to both Iraq and Afghanistan. He's got a bronze star with V for Valor, and he's the current COO and co-founder of Zero Eyes, which provides AI gun detection software that saves both time and lives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Rob Huberty. Awesome. Thank you for having us here. Yeah, you got your cohorts. They're going to join us here uh, after we talk about your story a little bit. I'm real curious to get into uh, the company you guys started because it's uh, such a prominent aspect of of our society and and a hotbed topic both politically and culturally or, or socially. And, and so uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys have going on with that. What's the uh, the funniest last name joke that you ever got in training? I mean, I was puberty everywhere since I, I started to the, almost to the point where it just became boring. I don't, it wasn't even that bad in the teams just because yeah. it's so obvious. Yeah. So, you know. Did anybody have anything that was like authentically funny though, that actually you're like, all right, that's fucking that's clever. I, no, I, I mean, it was like pubes or puby, like that, like for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Hey, pubes, puberty, yeah. get over here. Like, yeah. and, uh, you know, I mean, that's not. In the teams too, they call you that? It wasn't that many people, but certainly I, de- I definitely got like puby for sure. Yeah. Did you have a nickname otherwise? No, not really. Yeah. Not cool enough. Yeah. What's, uh, what's the last full book that you both read and actually finished? I think. Playboy doesn't count. The, <laughs> penthouse letters the, maybe the hard thing about hard things may have been the last thing i read which is like uh it sounds like penthouse letters maybe right it's uh it's seductive um <laughs> made me feel really good um that's like uh is that like a mental uh, toughness thing or what 
Mark Andreessen or no, no, no. Ben Horowitz. Ben okay. Horowitz. Have you guys there. read it too? Throw it, pass it around the, uh, the zero eyes platoon. You bought it for me, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh shit. It's uh you know business. They they're yeah. venture guys, and like he tells a business story of like how he is. He's just like it's there's no anybody who writes a business book is totally full of shit yeah. because everything just kind of goes out the window. And like yeah. anybody who's like do these eight steps, like yeah. the first step it will go to shit immediately, yeah. and, and the plan there's, doesn't there's matter. No plan B. Yeah. And then he he just you know. Yeah, that's probably the last thing I read. I have a lot of things on my, I have like active shooter books and stuff like that that are on my dresser that I've I've read yeah. as well. But those are not as interesting. So I like I research data on that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I just bought a book for school resource officers that I'm going to read next. Oh no shit! Yeah, <coughs> I'm. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll wait till you guys come in for the kind of back part of the interview. But I'm curious to see what your guys' perception or uh, or take on dogs being incorporated in, because it's something that I've had a lot of people reach out to me about. But uh, what is your best childhood memory? So I, I grew up with two brothers, um, and so two older brothers, and basically my oldest brother is an FBI agent, and he kicked the shit out of me <laughs> every day of my life. He's four really? years older. Oh, my God. Every day. Oh, my God. That was the FBI for you, I guess. Right. right? The uh, <laughs> I mean, it was more like wrestling and, uh, you know, whatever it was. It was fun. It was good. I, I think it was, like, good-spirited Yeah. for the most part. Um, you know, I it was Christmas recently, and so I'm going to say, like, Christmas memories growing up in, like, outside of New York. We would go back. That's where my family is from. From. And doing Christmas together of like the Italian uh, seven fish dinners in yeah. like New York that are like overly elaborate that we didn't yeah. understand what it was. And I kind of vividly remember a Christmas morning that my brother got a color TV and nobody has ever freaked out more in like 1986, I think it was. Yeah. So I'm 41. I don't think anybody in human history has ever freaked out more over a gift. And like we had talked about that recently. I think there's like a YouTube video of a kid getting like a Nintendo 64 yeah. that's like been on the internet for a long time. It was like that. I'll say that like yeah. Christmas in New York when I was a little kid. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you, how you don't love Christmas if you grew up as that being part of your family's tradition. Uh, same thing for me. It's for sure takes the, takes the cake there, but uh, I'm going to take a, a quick break. I, I do want to let you guys know um, the way that you can support the show is to support our sponsors. Uh, I know some people don't like to hear ads, but uh, that's how I do what I do for a living. So uh, any support you can show for our gracious sponsors is much appreciated. And again, it does uh, does support the show. So thank you. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. Uh, what does your morning routine look like on a normal day when you're in town? Uh, so let's say the first two, three hours. So at this point, I have four kids. So I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and nine months. Holy so I have fuck. three girls and a boy. So the boy is at the end. And so my wife is now, I she never like exercise when, we, when I get to know her. I, I knew her before the team. So I've been with her for like almost 20 years at this point. And my kids come into the room at she wakes up at like 4 30 yeah. and like we like i live in a row house in philly so 
she get, she gets up at like four thirty and like rides her Peloton bike or goes for runs and stuff like that. And uh, I exercise at like the end of the day, but yeah. my kids pretty much barge into the room at uh, say about five fifteen. And, and so the, the start of my day is not my choice. It's whenever they get up <laughs> or when they're yelling in the hallway. There's, you know, there's a lot of false starts going on right now. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, Jocko gets up every day at 430, yeah. you know, and, he wants and, and exercises. Yeah. And uh, I get up because my kids have been up in the middle of the night all yeah. night long. And uh, the need of the nuts to wake <laughs> right, you up. Right. Yeah. Man, four kids. That's rough. Um, hats off to you. On it's that. totally awesome. No, I, I, yeah, I can imagine. I love it. I have half that many, and uh, and and I don't I don't know how I'm still alive, honestly. But um, <clears throat> is there a a particular uh, routine that you prescribe to as far as like doing certain things for you, or is it completely dictated by them? Like, what what are your priorities? At, at this point, a lot of it is dictated by them. So I, I think kind of no matter what, you know, we we start a company and you know I I live on my cell phone. Like I I pick it up the first thing, and I'm. I'm in on, you know, Slack messaging, what happened in the middle of the night. We do a 24 seven thing. Um, so no matter what, like I'm, I'm looking at that through the middle of the night, every time I go to the bathroom, like I'm on my phone, like it, I know that's not healthy, but like when you're starting a business no, and that's all you got, like that yeah. is what you do. Yeah. Um, I do like exercising in the morning. I do like getting, you know, sunshine in the morning. I think that like, that's important. So I have like a row house in Philly on the roof deck. Like if I can throw the rower up there and, and start doing that, like, yeah. It's a pretty good way. I don't. I don't kill myself or anything yeah. with it. Yeah. But uh, do you eat anything? First? I don't. I I basically do intermittent fasting for the most part. And it's not even like really that. Not like I'm not that adamant about doing like X amount of hours. It's just that like I've trained myself to do that, and I like black coffee, so I'll do black coffee in the morning. But I don't. I don't yeah. eat. Yeah. Um. In terms of the, the kind of the physical aspect of of your day. <clears throat> I know you said you don't kill yourself, but is is rowing or, or something similarly uh, appropriate kind of what uh, what you typically do? Or absolutely, like I, I try to do challenges. So like last year, I did a hundred thousand pushups in the year, oh. and so this year I'm going to do a million meter row. So it's it's just to do it every single day and hold yourself accountable. I keep like my iPhone. I keep notes in. So two hundred and seventy five pushups a day. If you miss days, you got to make them up. Yeah. 2,750 meters of rowing a day. It's only, you know, 12 ish minutes. We'll, we'll call it. Yeah. You miss days, you know, every time you touch a row, you probably should row for 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Uh, that's a good, good methodology. And I do, I do like <clears throat> marathon kind of training too. I'm, I'm out of that a little bit right now, but like yeah. I'll probably run some marathons and stuff. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to hard pass on the marathon. Right. Uh, <clears throat> childhood, uh, in terms of, are, are you originally from Philly or you're from New York? No, I'm not from either actually. So like my parents are New Yorkers and they grew up that way, but I grew up in, I was born in Chicago, moved to Phoenix, Arizona from the time I was two to the time I was 10. And then I lived in a town called Monroe, Connecticut from the time I was 10 to 18. So I say Connecticut, but it's kind of all over the place. Yeah. What, uh, I'm assuming your, your parents jobs dictated just, just jobs my yeah. dad you know worked all over the place what did he do he worked for uh gte which became verizon mm. you just followed that around and uh, did your mom she stay at home she, uh she went back and forth she was a nurse and so she did work sometimes and then she'd go back and forth with yeah. it and uh you had uh one older brother how many two, two older, older brothers my oldest is an fbi agent my other brother is like a lawyer and a bunch of other things. Yeah. You're the youngest. I am. Yeah. 
Uh, did you guys play any sports growing up? Yeah. So, you know, I was sports obsessed. So, you know, when I was a little kid, I played soccer, then football, like everything in my whole life revolved around football. Then it became wrestling and I was pretty good at wrestling. So like that, that was kind of like the one that stuck the most. Yeah. I know, uh, you know, from having gone through Buds and been an instructor, the, you know, water polo, swimming and wrestling seem to be the three kind of biggest or most prominent sports that guys come from that, that succeed. Uh, did you find that there was a, a parallel or a connection between, in particular, wrestling and, and it preparing you for kind of the, the mental toughness required to go through SEAL training? I mean, I think so. I, I think that, you know, as much as, like, SEAL, BUDS doesn't really make SEALs. It finds people who are already SEALs a little yeah. bit, like, in my opinion. Yeah. And so, you know, I got beat up by my older brothers, like, every single day, and we wrestled, and, like, you know, then it started getting closer. Yeah. And as soon as it started getting closer, like, you know, they went away to college and like, you know, I never, I never really got my comeuppance that I, I always wanted. Brian, uh, I'll get you. Yeah. And now he's, he's doing like a lot of BJJ now, but yeah. I don't know if I can. I mean, so you guys, what, what classes were you guys collectively in? Uh, I was in 259. 271. Yeah. 259, so, I think the last hard class. For sure. Was, I think yeah. like Ernest Hemingway wrote yeah. a book about it. I don't doubt it. Yeah. For whom the bell tolls. Yeah, that was the last. That was it after right. that. It switched that's to it, online that's after it, that. That's it. It's a, it's a uh, joke now. Yeah. The uh, Well, fuck, that's a, whole, that's a whole other episode at this point. <laughs> but, uh, just the, the military, I'm baffled at some of the shit that comes out of uh, what's going on there now. But um, I, I am curious. You mentioned your brother doing uh, jujitsu. From your guys' perspective, uh, through your pipeline of training, I guess I'll just kind of toss this to, you, to the three of you collectively. Um, wh where would you put the focus in terms of combatives? Was it significant? Was it just just enough? I mean, what like did you guys train a lot while you were on active duty operationally, or was it just kind of an afterthought? I think it was an afterthought. I mean, it, it depends on where you were. Do you d disagree? So I did because I think it's fun, yeah. but it, you know, you're, if you ever get into a fight when you have a gun in your hand, you yeah. should have shot them. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like, I think it's one of the biggest misconceptions of, why uh, I have a gun. Yeah. I, I think the only uh, gray area is, is rule engagement, rule of engagement wise when there's an, an unarmed, but non-compliant. Sure. Then I, I still, I'm going to default to a muzzle strike, but. Uh, you become a liability if you're on the ground and like your yeah, buddy has to like, yeah. oh, I can't shoot him. Yeah. So it's a, you know, I think it's a, a warrior thing. I think it's incredible, but like, yeah. was it applicable to any of my yeah. deployments? No, not really. Well, that, and I think the amount of other skills that, that we, you have to perfect cost benefit wise, it's just not, it's not worth the squeeze, you know, but um, I mean, people are really into it and I think it's great, but yeah. like that didn't really make you a better seal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe better at not getting hazed, but uh, <laughs> maybe get yeah. taped up yeah it'd be tough to tape you up but yeah. not impossible yeah there, there's always going to be enough guys to to tape anybody up that's for sure do you have a good hazing story you don't mind sharing <sighs> it is refreshing to hear that uh that it, it still went on at least while you guys were in because uh jesus christ there were guys that i think made a career out of it when i uh was coming up but i mean nothing Nothing really that crazy. I mean, I definitely got taped up and like any mini blast machine. Yeah, no, that for sure. That was a thing. T. Roy Button. That was his. His. Uh, <laughs> he just retired. But uh, that, that definitely the mini blasting machine. But like, none of it that that really like marks me in any way, shape, or form. I think that like the best one is the the Brian Bourgeois, who was the commanding officer of Team Eight, 
who you know passed away last year um for his birthday he was like our oic when i was a new guy and uh i mean they happy hatted him and took him to every bar and like yeah. they t- have pictures put like a mop on his head yeah and like that was you know i was a new guy and i was getting taped up and that yeah. you know there was a little bit more yeah. vitriol but yeah but bouge you know put in a happy hat on him and yeah. take him to bars that was pretty hilarious that's great i think we did some birthdays that that way they were actually new guys in the platoon. Yeah. So they were, they were the spankers to you when you were there. Right, I guess. I don't know. On the spine board, we took, yeah, we took him into a dolly into a bar. Yeah. Yeah. For, uh, for those not, not hearing what he's saying, they, uh, if you can repeat yeah, it. Yeah, so we, one of our new guys who turned 21, he was the youngest guy, we taped him to a spine board and put him on a dolly. So we took him bar to bar, taped his mouth to where it was a straw, <laughs> and he was, you know, drinking, and they didn't understand. He was having a great time. Yeah. Like, that's... Uh, Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, I think one of the bars actually made us cut him out. Oh, no shit. Yeah, they were like, we're going to call the cops on you. We're like, well... We did a similar thing with uh, with a third O uh, once that I don't even remember what he, what he did to get in this position, but um, it was it was a cruise box full of water um, and jammed him in there with a regulator in his mouth and closed the closed the fucking lid. It was something like that. I don't remember if it was a cruise box or what the fuck. It was about that size, some sort. Of, maybe it was a dip tank with a fucking lid on it. I don't remember, but. But it was horrible. That's like pretty I, bad. I, I can imagine that, like that would fucking suck, you know. But uh, I think he had it coming, though. I don't like I said. I don't remember what uh, what he did to to wind up there. But um, those were the days. Uh, at any rate, um, all right. So you're in high school. You're in Connecticut. You're wrestling. Is there a point at which um, there's that light switch? Like fuck, I need to join the SEAL teams, or, or how did that shake out? So. I grew up and I, I guess I read too many comic books and watched too many movies of like heroes and stuff. And I believed them, you know, I watched red Dawn too many times. Is um, there such a thing? Can you I, watch that too many? Times? I don't know. I, you know, the, the eighties action movies, you yeah. thought like whatever it was that Arnold Schwarzenegger was in commando was like yeah. a thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> so that was always in the back of my mind. And I, uh, when I was wrestling, I was, I actually tried to go to, to like West point and wrestle. Oh, right. Really? I got waitlisted. And so it's like, do I really like the military thing? You know, I read all the books. I read like, the, you know, I don't remember what year Rogue Warrior came out, but I read, you know, Dick Marcinko and like, yeah. and you know, like the Tom Clancy books and whatever it was and like the Vietnam yeah. Frogman books. Yeah. And I went to college. I went and did like Army ROTC. Like I was like, what, what is this? And uh, my brother wasn't in, in the Army. He went to the Citadel in, in front of me. And I was like, this is stupid stupid <laughs> i was like i you know i don't i'm not gonna do that yeah i was like thinking you know maybe the seal teams like you can do that see what it's like and then september 11th happened oh, okay and, and so the i had kind of gone down that path a little bit and then they're like i will never do this the biggest group of idiots i've ever seen yeah. and so i i you know I, I was trying with the army i was going to be an officer and then i was like no maybe i'll enlist in the seal teams and so yeah. that's what i did yeah um was there a uh kind of a an idea in your mind of what you wanted to do with within the seal teams like at that point i'm assuming the uh it was still a seal source rating right did you pick so uh, i had to i had to be an os yeah so So you went to damn neck for a school right the uh you know three months of whatever it was of staring at a screen right The, I say it's like the assholes from Spaceballs. <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically. I was one of the assholes. Um, but the, 
you know, you, you go through that and, you know, the, I don't know, the, the, the whole A school and getting to buds, I don't know. That's it's like a blur. Yeah. I'm right there. I was an IS uh, at, at Danak, right. same, same shit. But um, in terms of your recollection of how, how buds was and uh, what that entire process, how, how would you kind of encapsulate that minus the, the crazy details that, uh, you know, I've, I've had a number of, of team guys on the, uh, on the show uh, historically. So just kind of in, in your, your own words from your perspective, what was it like? I think it's pretty perfect. Um, you know, the, it's not fair. Um, there's, there's so many things that can go, go wrong through it. And I actually like mentor, uh, kids right now in ROTC where I'm at. And I have a, I have a kid in second phase right now who's who's going through. So like, I'm tied to it still. I, and you know, like, I I think that a lot of what I hear doesn't sound awesome of like, they're making everything easier, but I'm not convinced that that's actually true. Like there's verbiage that goes on about it, but like, I think that people show up it's really hard to pick out who is able to get through the the training. And I don't, you know, I think the community struggles of like who will and won't make it. But I think when you're there, like the idea of like quitting and not quitting, I don't really believe that goes through the minds of a lot of the people who make it through. I didn't get injured. um, So I made it through, but you know, the, the level of challenge is so unbelievably pronounced. Few things in my entire life have ever lived up to being what it was supposed to be. I don't think being a SEAL lives up to like what I was in my mind. Like I wanted to go be a sniper and do all these things. And like, I mean, that's 1% of what I did. Yeah. Um, but buds is close yeah. and it, like you have the weekends off. It's not, you know, misery and muck. You know, I thought it like, I'd be like crawling and like my last bit of energy. Yeah. And like, it's like hell week for seven months. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't that, but like when it was, it was like hell yeah. week is, no lives good. up to the reputation, yeah. I, th- I think. No, you know? I, yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, and, and kind of similarly, I think uh, it was about like I expected. I mean, there were some things that, you know, were harder than I thought they would be or easier, you know, but they were kind of nuanced and, and outliers. I, I will say like San Clemente Island for me was a bigger kick in the nuts than I was expecting. Some of it was because we had a big class and it was in February and, you know, it was just, it was a shitty time to be there. But um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I uh, appreciate and, and respect the way that, that you put that. Their, I, their idea. I, I know the island. Like we, we you know, we're. I was, I was doing my, I would do hell week over. He said he yeah. would do hell week over again. Yeah. Same here. I mean, our island was was worse than fucking hell week for sure. But my second phase was bad. Like yeah. the the first phase. I mean, it totally destroyed me. I'm not gonna. I'm not, I'm not some bud superstar. Like I wasn't. Yeah. Everybody followed me. Like I was in the middle of the pack. Yeah. But uh, the. Third phase wasn't that bad for me in my mind. Yeah. Second phase was bad. Yeah. I think, you know, each each uh, individual that makes it through has the one almost crucible or crux or, you know, like... It gets everybody. Like, yeah, there's, there's something that yeah, gets everybody. There's, there's something that's going to legitimately test who, whoever is there at some point to the absolute maximum, uh, I, I think, you know. And some people, it's too much. And, I mean, fuck, for that matter, for most people, it's too much. But... Um, all right, so you graduated uh, with your class uh, at that time. You went to Benning, and then uh, yeah, SBT. I was out of the last class to do that. Oh no shit! Yeah, um, and then you went straight Navy to Navy appreciation. Yeah, is what that is. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Get your hands out your pockets, Navy. Listen uh, here, Airborne. Yeah. Um, all right, so then uh, you go from there to the East Coast to Team Four. Right. Uh, go through SEAL qualification training. You're in your first platoon. What uh, What was that like? Uh, so they. 
I had checked in as they were coming back from like a pretty rough deployment. And so when I checked in, I, th I think that right, right after I checked in, like the week of Clarky Schwedler got killed. Oh, no shit. And so it was like a turnover op. And so like, I'm a new guy at the team and everybody came home and like their last mission, they, you know, they, they lost a guy. Yeah. And, you know, it was devastating. And so like you came into like the dark cloud of what that looked like. And, you know, they had, you know, their stories were crazy that, you know, there's really big missions that they went on and like really meaningful and the guys, you know, saw a lot of action and you come into a platoon and that lost somebody and you kind of pick up the pieces of what that looked like. And so being a new guy was like not super awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Was uh, the platoon that you were in, were you one of a bunch of new guys or were you, or was it just like a couple of you? It was a bunch of new guys, but I showed up to my platoon. They, they, they split basically like my buds class to like, it was team four half and then team five, the other half generally. And there's yeah. onesies, twosies over here. But like my actual like platoon and troop, there weren't a whole lot. So like, and I, whenever I checked in from leave and stuff like that, like I was, I was definitely getting the brunt of a lot of people yeah. without a whole lot of other new guys. And eventually they joined and everybody, you know, misery loves company. You know, yeah. I got to, I got some friends to chip paint with and uh, <laughs> sweep the fucking go on the Cyclops lot. a million times and yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess coming into the, into the team after a, a fresh loss like that, that's, uh, you know, super impactful and devastating and, and no doubt, um, you know, affected the mentality and, and kind of the, the whole vibe of, of checking in. Uh, what was that first workup like? And did you know kind of right away where you were going and, and it was all geared towards that or did it get thrown around at all? I mean, I think it got changed a little bit, but you know, we had like the good deal. Yeah. So we were going to go and do the, the cool mission set and, you know, in, in life, good deals are never good deals and bad deals are not necessarily bad deals. Like you, you never know, yeah. but we thought we had the good deals. So we took it really seriously and it was just an unbelievably talented group that I was with the first one. Like every platoon I was in was highly talented, but for different reasons, like everybody's like got gone and started businesses from like that first platoon. Everybody has like Ivy league MBAs who were like the enlisted dudes. And then the officers were doing other crazy stuff too. And so it was a special group. And, you know, at the same time, sometimes special groups, you know, you have so much energy and so much talent that you spend it and, you know, maybe not, you don't use your powers for good. So, yeah. there, you know, there was a lot of uh, shenanigans yeah. that, that happened during that. But it was, uh, it was, you know, we knew what we were doing mattered. We knew that we had a great mission set. We knew that we had a really good team to do it with. It was awesome. Yeah. And, and what was the, the sit down as far as what you were directed or told that this is where we're going, this is what we're going to be doing that kind of drove training? Right. So we, we knew we were going to go to Iraq. We knew we were going to go to Baghdad and we're going to go do like, a, you know, the cool mission set. We're going to take a JSOC mission set and get to do it in, you know, the regular teams who were, you know, going after like the real bad guys. And it was basically like bomb makers and money. Yeah. And so all of our mission sets were, you know, we were getting the best assets, the best planes, the best intel, the best deal. And like we were finding really bad people and we're, you know, direct action you know, in and out missions in like three hours or yeah. whatever it was, yeah. you know, if you had, if you ran into a dry hole, go find the next building, the next building, the next building. And it was awesome. And we do our op tempo was awesome. We lived the vampire, you know, only at night, only on nods, clearing houses, kicking in doors, like the most team guy shit that you could do. Yeah. But you know, it wasn't actually super kinetic, but yeah. we, we wrapped so many dudes up and found so much money. It was really, really rewarding. Yeah. Um, 
when uh, I guess during your training pipeline in that first platoon before you got over there to do all that stuff, were there any uh, good deal quals that you got? Did you get sniper and or was it pretty? So when I was a new guy, they said new guys don't get schools. Yeah. So I got pretty much nothing in the beginning. And so Has, it has Matt and dive supervisor, right? No, I didn't even get dive suit, but I did go to hazmat. Yeah, and, uh, it's a fucking choice. Cool no, that's out. perfect. Um, so towards the end though, I think like, I don't know if I went to breacher right before, but like, I, you know, I guess I had done a good enough job and they decided that they liked me. So I got to go do cool stuff. Yeah. I went to like a car stealing school oh, shit. At, at the end at like yeah, right cool. before we kicked out the door and like, just, just like weird stuff, but yeah. not like the, the calls that I wanted, which yeah. was like, Sniper was like my number one thing, and then Breacher, and yeah, um, you know, amongst yeah. those, I got those later, but not not as a new guy. Yeah. Uh, all right. So your first first platoon, uh, can you kind of walk me through your mindset and mentality the the instant you landed in in Baghdad, and you're like, holy fuck, I'm in Iraq. You know, it's so disorienting getting off the plane the first time. You're in a C-17, and it's it was relative relatively safe, right? Like that was like. Seven or oh eight, I don't remember the year. So you weren't getting lit up. Landing. No, no. I mean, we were landing at a runway that was totally safe, and like where we were going, you know, it was it was on Biop, the Baghdad International Airport, and we had you know like a cool camp, and it was good. It was good living conditions, and like you had good meals and all all that stuff. is is really easy, but like you you fly in and you know you're on a C seventeen, you know whether I don't whether like people are sleeping on top of like the the containers and stuff like that, putting hammocks up. And, you know, as a new guy, you have no idea what to expect. You're like, do I put body armor on? And like some of it, like, you know, you're one platoon guys who two platoon, three platoon, all the people who've been there and done that, either they're amping you up or telling you the truth. And like, you don't really know which is which. And so like, you definitely have butterflies, but like, I think that, you know, we weren't even camis when we landed or something like that. I don't, I don't remember, but uh, I don't think we were, but, you get out and it's like 120 degrees and like just there's a haze and you smell the burning everything everything is just on fire kind of thing and you breathe in all that crap and because like we stayed at baghdad international airport so like when we landed we were basically where we needed to be were you there the whole time yeah i mean we did a strike force thing and so like we would only go out for like a day and maybe like two days at the most yeah. you know but everything the, else was out of there everything right? was out it was a strike force mission you'd go out do a mission come home every night generally yeah. All right, guys, the economy sucks, right? Uh, it's up and down. Um, anybody who's looking to invest uh, is a little leery of investing in the stock market, myself included. I started working with Masterworks here recently. Uh, they specialize in blue chip art, uh, which is very unaffected by the uh, volatility of the stock market. And so uh, the way that it works is you basically invest with other people into uh, paintings that are very safe and secure and reliable in terms of sales. They've got a great track work, uh, record um, of being able to sell these uh, incredibly expensive paintings um, and, and other artworks for, um, for profit. And it, and it gives you an ability to leave the volatility to the stock market and kind of hedge against that. So it's a good way to, I hate to use the, the corny cliche, diversify your portfolio, uh, but that's exactly what it does uh, in a very safe and, and predictable manner. Uh, if you go to masterworks.art slash mic drop, uh, you can skip the wait list. Again, that's masterworks.art slash mic drop. Um, and you can get involved with, uh, again, diversifying whatever you're looking to uh, to put money into to, to keep it uh, in a, in a more safe platform, 
other than cryptocurrency or the stock market or uh, anything else that, that tends to bounce around like a roller coaster in these volatile times. So um, in terms of SEC filings, uh, you can still uh, register uh, everything uh, above board the way that you need to investment-wise. Um, there's over $650 million invested in, in blue chip through these guys uh, and over 590,000 users. So this isn't some uh, pop-up, you know, fly-by-night joint that has 10, uh, 10 members. It's uh, totally uh, legit and, and above board. And, and uh, I've been working with them for a little while now, and it's great. So, uh, again, that's masterworks.art slash mic drop, uh, and you can get all the details at that website. And so how many days were you there before you actually went out and did anything? <clears throat> Not really a whole lot. I want to, because you did turnover ops, right? Yeah. And as a new guy, like they, they actually were pretty good. And I, I think we got to go out pretty quickly within the first probably like 10 days, maybe five days. So you get there, like try to get your sleep cycle down, get all your equipment, get, you know, the ammo that you need and all that stuff for two or three days. Watch a couple cycles of them going out on ops and maybe you know, five to 10 days you went on missions. And then after that, it was like two to five times a week, depending on how that week went. Yeah. Do you remember uh, the first mission that you went on where shit actually fucking went down? You know, the, the, the silliest thing, the first day I went, they gave me, you know, the, the a heavy gun, you know, so I had like a Mark 48 or maybe even a 46, but I had like, you know, one of the belt fed guns and you know, I had a team lead with me and, you know, they put me on a corner and I didn't really realize that the Iraqi police looked the way that they did. And so they looked like Mark one motto, bad guy. Yeah. And I, I had the safety off at one point and like, I was depressing the trigger on a belt fed machine gun towards IP. And then like one of them was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Those <laughs> are not, guy. those are not bad guys. And I, I would say that like, I'm probably fortunate that whatever happened because they, you know, there's guys carrying like AKs dressed yeah. up the way that I think that it is. And like, the, you know, the, the way the brief was given, like I didn't understand what IP checkpoints were. Yeah. And so like the dumbest thing, like literally the first day I could have been, that could have been yeah. a real wow. bad day. What was your uh, collateral duty? Uh, ordinance. ordinance. So I did that for two deployments. So, um, so that, that, that first kind of almost, Oh shit moment. Um, I'm sure struck uh, struck a chord with you, but it was was there a first mission that stands out um, where it was like, holy fuck, we legitimately got some? You know, we, we were just really getting the bad guys, and it was like from their sleep in the middle of the night. So, like, that was actually, like, not super kinetic. Like, there were odd things, like, guys got hurt. There were there were little things, but, like, I was never in the mix on, yeah. the, on the stuff. And, like it's one of those things where you try to be in the right place at the right time. Like you want to be in the mix yeah. and it just didn't really work out that way, but we would go into like the court system and those, those people would be put to death. And so you're just like, okay, was, did I do the Navy SEAL thing that I wanted to do? And you're like, well, I don't know. But yeah. like when we'd find like bags full of money all over the place and you're like, yeah. these, these are the right people and this is kind of going the way it's supposed to, but it's not, it's not gunfights cause they didn't really yeah. want to fight us in the middle of the night. Was there, um, I mean, in, in all these instances where you're coming across, you know, loads of cash, was uh, was there an instance where, or I guess, does one stick out in your mind as being the most money? And did you have a, a grasp of how much it was? Yeah. So I was also in charge of like the SSE in one of them. And we were in a room. So I'll site you, sensitive. House is paid off, isn't it? <laughs> no, definitely not. But uh, the 
we were in in a room and we were searching it and it was like things weren't adding up and they were doing like their ta- they were questioning somebody who was in there and I was searching a room and we hadn't found anything in the house and they're like no no it's for sure this house no it's for sure this house and uh, I I was I was not the one who searches rooms I was the one collecting everything and putting it in a bag taking you know and I'd go and talk to the FBI afterwards of like okay this is what we found and they're just like hey one of the people that we're questioning has like had like a thumb drive in a uh, like a uh, a woman's feminine hygiene product under her armpit, and they wanted her, and they're like, "Oh, that's weird," yeah. and and they found it, and they're like, "Oh, this is a big deal," mm-hmm. and then she had more stuff physically inside of her. No oh, shit, physically inside of her. Did you guys? Uh look at it and, and find what I mean was there valuable so, so not at the moment right yeah. but like you're like oh yeah they're hiding it for a reason obviously rat fuck this house now like yeah. like don't the cursory stuff's over like look and yeah. so I went into a room and I started like getting drawers and I started finding like clumps of money so I American you know, American so I think we there's like a thing that's probably ten thousand dollars you're like okay cool and then you go other drawers you found another you pull out another one like ah $20,000. Okay, cool. You're going through the room, but like, oh my God, what? Like, this is a lot. Yeah. And then you go through, and maybe we found like $30,000 in the room. And <laughs> it was like, you're supposed to go from like corner to corner. And like, I was like the probably the fourth person in there. And I wasn't finished with the room on my search yet. And my senior chief, who was on the roof, walked into the room. And he's like, You find anything? I was like, Well, we found all that. And then like, he kicked a bag that was literally sitting by the door. And so no one had thought to like right where the door opened, there was a bag and I, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh shit. And so like it, you know, it made it look like, you know, we were being shady or something like that. And we literally just didn't see it. Yeah. And so like, it was really embarrassing that like four people had searched a room and our senior chief literally came into the room and like a kicked a bag full of money. Holy fuck. And you're like, he's like, you idiots. Did like, you, did you find this? You're like, yeah. uh, yeah, no, I knew it was there. Yeah. I was going to tell you. Yeah. The, uh, was there anything else of note other than money? Did they have like cash as a weapons or like, not, not as much, not as much as, you know, we would have liked to have seen. We did, we did see some that, you know, there were houses that had stuff that was like rigged and, and whatever it was, but it was, it was fairly benign. It was not super, it was just not super kinetic. Yeah. Like people didn't really fight us too much. And, and the ones where people did, I really wasn't just like in the mix of it. Yeah. Like people got, you know, there, there were some guys who got hurt a little bit. There were some, we had to drive in the strikers. So this, we did it, this was the, with the Rangers. And so we would like alternate, you know, nights of what we were doing. We found like a bunch of drone footage too, where they were like, they were tapping into like some of our drones feeds. And like, when we found that, that was a big deal. Oh shit. That was a big deal. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, I fuck. So it was, it was more that. sophisticated, yeah. you know, like in a lot of the, and you know, we, we would end up another one. We found like Iranian diplomats who were like, bad yeah and uh I, I think the 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 rumor was that like we went all the way to the president on on like that mission yeah um and so we we're like fin- fingerprinting them and and stuff and they're like you're not allowed to do that and you know guys were like pulling out their knives i'll cut your fingers off no shit and like you're gonna get fingerprinted and the rumor was that it went all the way up to obama had just taken office like it was like his first week there and that the rumor was that it went all the way to obama that when we were there but like that's, I mean, I, I, I wasn't a part of that chain yeah. of thing. I was standing around trying to collect you know, bags of money, bags of money. I, I'm uh, that's the first time I've ever heard of, uh, you know, them 
or you get, you know, United States forces finding from an intelligence standpoint, um, hijacked or tapped into NATO forces drone footage that, that the yep. enemy has possession of. I mean, that's not something that's very no, prominent. No, was, and, and not only that, they, <clears throat> they didn't find it the first time that they went and they went back and it was hidden behind a wall. So like the hidey holes and stuff like that, that you'd look for, I don't think seals are particularly good at finding things. Like, even though, you know, we're trained to do it. Like when you go to a house, like people tear stuff apart and you had to learn to like not tear yeah. stuff apart. Need some uh, like correctional facility officers to come in and I mean, I, th that's no kidding. And, and literally the best people at searching the, the houses were always like the shadiest dudes in the platoon. They're right. like, Hey man, here's, yeah. here's the passports. You're like, where'd you find that? They're like in the <laughs> air, worry in the air condition. Yeah. And you're like, really? Yeah. And you have kids, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the, I think a parent would be a close second oh, yeah. for a correctional officer maybe, but. Uh, of teenagers anyway i don't know about about toddlers but um was there a uh like a strangest target that you went on where just in terms of not adding up as it relates to like what was in the room whether it's culturally or how many people or like do any targets stand out as being like what fucking twilight zone shit is this was it was there anything like that I mean, from other deployments, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that one was like a little bit more metropolitan. Like it was, you know, we're in Baghdad, yeah. which is more of a city where the other ones I was in yeah. the, the country where like it didn't make any sense in Afghanistan. Yeah. But like we went to like car dealerships and we realized like there was some network in the car dealerships who were like doing things to follow the cars. And so we we're putting like tracking device in car dealerships. What a car dealership in Baghdad looks like is not what a car dealership anywhere else yeah. looks like. You're like, this is a car dealership. Yeah. And so like we. What was uh, so strange about it? Uh, I mean, it's like, it's literally like just parked on the highway, just a bunch of cars that are nowhere near new. Yeah. And, you know, there's, they're selling them on, you know, whatever. And we, we actually like dressed up as like army EOD. We put on like different camis out to like, cause we were, we were like planning stuff in the cars Yeah, just to, you know, track and basically like cell phones, but like yeah. the, just to, you know, to, to see if like the informants would go into the cars and they did. And it was like pretty successful. Yeah. But, uh, seeing what that interaction is and how they lead their lives. And like, you know, they, they have sewage in the streets, but they have, you know, everybody has cell phones and computers and, you know, yeah. occasionally you'd go into a house that was like a dry hole and you realize like they, they were very different than everybody else. Yeah. I would say that like when you see a lot of money in like a marble house and like you go into it, like we realize like those are money people. Yeah. But D did you get any good follow up as far as targets that you hit and people that you captured that you're like, fuck that really validated like some, I mean, were there anybody that you can mention or is that, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think that any of it really matters. Like they, they were, I mean, we were going after basically like Kuds force kind of stuff. Like the Iranians were coming in and paying for bombs and doing that and had, you know, a network of like how they paid to put bombs in the street to go after it. And we captured a lot of money and a lot of people and like the doctors who would support it. And so that, I guess we'll go into this is I actually got in trouble on this deployment because we had a pretty awesome Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, we had a Christmas party where a bunch of people got in trouble because we drank alcohol and actually I think did you uh, smuggle it in or did you find it? I mean, it it's in, in, in Baghdad, oh, it was you. like super, super easy. And so we had a, a massive Christmas party and, uh, it was like everybody and, uh, <laughs> you know, eventually they, <laughs> it was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I don't remember. And uh, they were like, hey, let's have a party. And so a bunch of us went, and, you know, everybody had, had all the stuff, put it together. And 
I mean, there was probably 70 to 100 people at this thing. Oh, shit. And, and I'd, I'd get in trouble probably for this now, so I'll, I, I won't necessarily mention names, but they asked, I got put in front of like a board and they're like, did you, were you there? Were you drinking? And I was a new guy. I was like, I'm just going to tell the truth. I don't, yeah. like, there's nothing to hide. Like I was, I didn't do anything. Like, yes, I had, you know, a couple of drinks. I got captains masted and reduced in rank. Oh, and then, shit. Yeah, it was bad. And uh, I still hold the grudge over this. Um, and, you know, I was, I was one of seven people who got in trouble. And I ended up having to go to the tactical holding facility and had to go to the Iraqi courts. So I got to see all the people go through the court system afterwards and get put to death. Really? By the Iraqi court system. What just because, like? I mean, it was bananas. What, uh, I mean, what was the, that process like? I mean, it was a kangaroo court. I mean, it, I mean from my perspective, like, they, we presented the information that we had. We did a really good job at doing it. And then they're like, you were bad, so we'll hang you. And it was by a, you know, Iraqi judge and all of those things. And, I mean, they're going to believe, you know, what's put before them. And, you know, it's, it was, I wasn't in the room for all of it. I was not allowed to be in the room. I would find out what happened at the end. Yeah. But I was, like, handling prisoners. So I would literally, like, walk them in there as they were cuffed. And I wasn't supposed to, like, touch the actual people because, like, I was one of, like, one of the people who basically arrested them yeah. for the most part, like we were basically arresting people. And they, I mean, I, I want to say they put like 30 to 50 of them to death. Did you see any of that? Any of them? No, no, I didn't actually see the, uh, the executions. I yeah. didn't see that. That wasn't on biop. I don't know. It probably was, but it wasn't where I was, yeah. but I, I was in the facility that held them for a while for like a month. Damn, and then I went wild. back on missions. So they took me off missions. It was yeah. pretty, pretty brutal. So you were what an E5 and got busted E4 or E4 to E3? Yeah. E5 to E4. Yeah. Damn. That's brutal. Yeah. And uh, did any of the higher ups get fucked? Nope. Just just the new nope. guys or just the young nope. Guys? I don't know if they have a whole lot of ethics. What's I don't that? know if they have a lot of ethics that goes on. And in addition, I think you do know that they don't have any ethics. In addition, Admiral McRaven was supposed to show up that day, and he was supposed to splice the main line the next day. And so we were going to actually drink alcohol with Admiral McRaven. So we had a party before, so we got in trouble. I will say one of the dudes ended up getting out that got in trouble with me. And like, you know, there's a bond of all the people who got in trouble, the seven of us who got yeah. in trouble, Jeremy Wise. Oh yeah. And so Jeremy Wise. I put him through training. Oh yeah. I mean, he was hilarious, just an awesome dude. And he ended up getting out. Like that was a really, really bitter thing. And then yeah. he ended up getting killed in the, the coast, coast bombing. Yeah. yeah. And he was just a hilarious dude. And like, we went yeah. through it together. Yeah. Yep. yeah. That's crazy. Good party though. No, it sounds like it. Was it worth it? Yeah, maybe not. I can't. Like, I, I learned a lot. I mean, yeah. to me, the, the the fact that the the junior guys are the ones that got in trouble tells you so much about what you need to know about the military that it's fucking sickening. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, was there anything else from uh, from that deployment that stands out as being uh, noteworthy? No, I mean, I, I saw at a very high level what we could do and like the awesome people we were and how self destructive we could be, and then the bureaucracy. And then I saw like what our actual capabilities were. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it was a six month deployment. I think it got extended. I want to say it was supposed to be six. It was probably eight. They, yeah. they all went that way. Yeah. So you came home. Um, what was the, the de was the decompression not that bad since it was, right. wasn't super connected. Right. Like, you know, we had a blue on blue that somebody got hurt. Like one of my friends got shot on something stupid and he was okay. He was okay like that night and it was fine. And like other, you know, other guys got hurt. There was a couple of like IEDs and stuff like on the drive in, yeah. but like those were, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. 
Uh, what was the turnaround time from when you got back from your first deployment until you went over again? We had a full workup. So it was like, you know, the 18 months of yeah. pro dev, you know, ULT, you know, professional development where you get to go to schools, unit level training where everybody comes together and then squadron integ integration training. Yeah. And that's, I did with these guys. Yeah. The next deployment. Um, next deployment was Iraq or Afghanistan? Afghanistan. How, uh, how big, I mean, obviously there's a big difference, but, um, was it glaring the second you touched down? Like, holy fuck, this isn't. So it, it was a similar, I mean, we ended up landing in, you know, a big airport in, you know, Kandahar. Yeah. So it, the same kind of feeling, you know, except now I was pretty confident in my skill set and that I knew what I was doing. And then the mission set was so wildly different that it was like nothing was applicable. Did they sit you down and say, here's, here's our fucking, here's the big mesh for this deployment? And what was it? Yeah. So we did the village stability operation thing. And the whole idea is that you were going to live amongst Afghani, you know, people and you were going to police that, and you were going to go very far. It was going to be really limited, the area that you could navigate, and you were supposed to, you know, a kinder, gentler machine gun hand, or whatever it is, you were supposed to build rapport with the community and do that, and, you know, the coin or, you know, wh whatever that whole thing was is, is what we did together. And we received, like, you know, that we did the Green Beret mission. Like, that is the, like, foreign internal defense. Like, that's what it is. And like, we have a lot of really capable people, but we didn't, I didn't really sign up for that. Yeah. What was, uh, what area did you go to? Can you say? So we did Southeast uh, Afghanistan. We did Zabul province and we, we went to a place called Navahar. And uh, was it hairy at that time? Or yes. What? We were the most attacked uh, like fob in the country at the time. And it was I was like basically an arresting police officer in my first one. And it was awesome. And like, we arrested everybody and we did a really great job. And it was like pretty clear cut. And then you went to like a moral gray zone where like there were close calls, everything, every day, all the time. And like the bad guys knew exactly where you were. You were supposed to do stuff in like the daylight. You were supposed to be like nice and engaging and sit down and have tea instead of like kicking indoors and whatever. And, and we're getting rocket shot at us every single day yeah was the uh were you guys it's like a makeshift fob kind of right so it was built out of like hesco barriers we didn't have hot water running water really food that was we had like the you know the unit rations or whatever stuff like that mres and like mountain house meals for months and months and months we had an awesome group of like cbs who who like built an infrastructure and you know getting your first hot shower in like four months after like getting attacked like every single day, like it's pretty okay. Yeah. Did you guys build uh, kind of an Intel package internally of, okay, here's, here's what we're here for, but here's what's really going on now. Let's fucking ambush Absolutely. the ambushers. Tell me about that. Absolutely. So I, I think it really came down to this though. Our first, when we arrived on September 21st, which like we probably got in maybe September early September, only there a couple of weeks. Um, so I was with Mike Laff over here and then Sam was in the other platoon and they were at like just a different location that was, I don't know, we were like 20 miles away. We're, it wasn't far, but it was far. We never got to see each other. Yeah. And we're going to do a mission maybe jointly and we're supposed to be the quick reaction force. And so they had one of their helos had an accident. So it didn't get shot down. I think it was like pilot error and it got browned out and it killed a bunch of people in our platoon Oh no shit. or our, our troop. And so the, that was 12 years ago now. 
even, even a little bit more. So one of my best friends that I went through training with that, like I did everything with ride or die homie, Adam Smith was in that. Then we had, uh, Dennis Miranda, one of our new guys, uh, was in the, the, huh? Brendan Looney. So they did a turnover op. So this was a turnover. It was the, like, like the first mission in. And so Brendan Looney was the officer. He was at team three. And, and so we lost him. Blake McClendon was our, uh, like our TIO, the, you know, the, the signals guy or whatever. And when you lose your friends like that, I mean, we lost our mind. Like that, we were going to be a quick reaction force and, I would have shot everybody that I that I saw, and Sam actually was one of the responding people to that. So, like he he was there. Like the the helicopter crash, he was in a different different helicopter, and you know wherever they landed differently. Like he had to go deal with that. And what is a helicopter? How do you deal with a helicopter crash? Uh, do you mind jumping in to to address that part of the story? All right. So we got Sam, uh, who was one of his teammates uh, that responded to. Um, the helo crash. I'd love to get kind of from your perspective, if you can walk through uh, what that was like. Sure. So we, uh, yeah, we were in country. We were preparing for that op for about a week. Um, it was our first op in country. It was my first mission, Dennis's first mission, Adam's second deployment. He was with you the first time. And uh, yeah, we were just amped up, ready to go do it. And uh, I was on a C2 bird. We had two supporting element birds, so three different helicopters going to three different mountain peaks overlooking a specific valley. And the goal was to go there, set up shop in the dark so nobody knew where you were, and then in the daylight, um, send out the main element to be on the ground and actually do the, you know, the, the capture mission. Um, so as we were flying in, I got off on the C2 mountain. I was running comms for that mission. And I looked over to the other element to see what, what was going on over there, and it, the, the whole mountaintop was on fire. Um, so I was talking to the bird, like, what just happened? He said, yeah, the helicopter crash. So the bird came right back down, flew us over to the top of that pinnacle, and it was, uh, it was, it was wild, right? I didn't know what to expect. Um, that was like the introduction to combat. Or it, it wasn't even a combat event. That's why it was confusing. We didn't know did they get shot down. We didn't know if it was an accident. What exactly happened? My greatest fear was they, they were inside of that bird burning. Like, that was why I picked up the 70-pound pack and sprinted up that mountain as fast as I could with, with my buddies. Um, Got up there, the, the whole of the helicopter was on fire, kind of rolled down probably 100 meters of the hill, but it was still a massive hill, so it was still there. And then up on top, there, there was flaming debris everywhere, and then we realized what we, had to, what we had to deal with. We had to do basically a rescue mission. Who was still alive? Where were they? Um, and I came across the one American survivor. I'm not going to mention his name, but he was like in, in tremendous amount of shock. He was giving CPR to... Uh, Adam, who was very obviously by that point in time dead, um, and it, it, it was trying to get him out because he broke his neck. So there was a double-pointed pinnacle. There was a, a massive point. You're going to do a one-wheel landing on, drop the team off, and a lower point. And what happened is something at the top malfunctioned the helicopter, and it, it jettisoned down at maximum speed, hit the bottom one, wrapped itself around the rock pillar, and threw everybody and everything out of the helicopter at, at warp speed. So the seal fell out at the top, as he was trying to do the one-wheel landing, broke his neck, the helicopter came down, and then the wreckage happened. And it was basically going through, uh, looking for Adam, looking for Dennis, looking for Brendan, looking for Blake, looking for the Afghanis who were on board, the gunners on board, the pilots on board. That was it. I got to tell you, between uh, riding motorcycles, um, working out a fair bit, traveling on planes, 
I listen to a lot of music and other podcasts doing research for, uh, for this show. Um, and I just, uh, came on to Raycon wireless earbuds and I got to tell you, they are uh, a fraction of the price of some of the other big name brands, we'll call them. Uh, but they sound fantastic. Uh, they work great. Uh, the sound quality is amazing. Uh, and they stay in. Uh, more importantly for me, like taking my helmet on and off or doing lots of different exercises, I always have a, a hell of a time uh, keeping the earbuds in. And, and these stay in uh, phenomenally well. Uh, they've got eight hours of playtime. Uh, 32 hours of standby time, uh, and are just, they're just—they're a phenomenal product. I mean, they feel well built. They charge fast. They're—they're uh, they're a fantastic product. I'm—I'm I'm real stoked to be working with them. Uh, and right now, if you go to uh, Raycon.com—that's R-A-Y-C-O-N.com—you um, can get 15% off if you use the code Mike Drop. So that's Raycon.com/slash Mike Drop for 15% off. And again, they're already. Uh, considerably more affordable to uh, some of the other brands out there. So uh, I listen to them and, and use them all the time. Fantastic quality. I can't recommend them enough. That's raycon.com forward slash mic drop for 15% off. And so uh, everybody except the, the one guy perished. That's right. Yeah. How many total? I want to say eight or nine. Yeah. And so, for, uh, I mean, at, at that point, so if you get the, the one survivor with a, a broken neck trying to administer CPR on, on a deceased teammate, uh, once you kind of get him uh, in, whether it's treated or evacuated or, or what have you, like what, what's going through your mind and, and what were your next steps? Like what, at that point, what could you do? What were you trying to do? So by that point in time, we knew it, it wasn't shot down. Something just seriously bad happened. And uh, it was now a hold the hilltop until you can get in the appropriate people to come in there, bring out the bodies, bring out the sensitive equipment. And that ended up taking forever. We were there all day. So that was probably zero four hundred. We were there until probably 1,800, 1,900, uh, holding the hilltop. And uh, I, I, I guess the, the, the thought process all day was like hold it together. Like everybody's just trying to hold it together. How, how many of, of you guys were there holding that hilltop? Uh, of my platoon, probably six or seven, and then we had some support, some support people flown in. Uh, some PJs came in, and it was, it was, yeah, it was again. It was basically just like we'll digest this when we get back. Right now, let's yeah. get, let's take care of the, uh, the bodies. Were there any um, intrusions or attempts at, at taking it? Did you guys get shot at or fucked with when you were holding it? Lots of ICOM chatter, but nobody, nobody showed up. I think they were just as confused as we were. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you telling that story. Uh, Adam was uh, was a student of mine also, um, which, uh, you know, there's been a, a, a number of them at this point that, um, you know, guys that I put through training that I remember that, that have uh, been killed in action that, uh, you know, is, is tough to tough to deal with for sure as, a, as an instructor. There's a, a weird almost, I mean, I hate to, to say paternal feeling, but it, it does kind of feel that way, you know, uh, and it's, it's different losing teammates um, or it's different losing students than it is teammates in a, in a very difficult to describe way. But, um, <clears throat> I, I sincerely appreciate you sharing that story and, um, and we'll, we'll bring you back in here in a, in a little bit. So thank you. Cool. Um, all right. So after that, once you found out that, uh, that that had happened, uh, what was going through your mind and how did you kind of reconcile it all? I mean, I think there was a large extent of, 
it didn't feel like an accident, right? Like it felt like that was the enemy. And I, 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 you know, you live that with, with that in your head. And I think that your, your rationale for like returning violence with violence, just, I mean, it goes incredibly up. And so, I mean, and we're getting attacked all the time. And like the answer, you know, it was, we were in a static location in the middle of the day. They'd always attack us in the middle of the day. And then you're just like, how do you prevent this? What do you do? And like, well, we're going to get a lot more aggressive. And I think like that made us like insanely aggressive. And, you know, I, th I think we ended up subduing that aggression and like it went away and it totally stopped. And they're just like, don't fuck with those guys. Like they're, you know, what we, we would hear, they put like messages up and they called us the, the shakes. And they're like, don't, don't shoot at the shakes, the shakes of Nabahar. And they're like, that's the seals. They wear different color uniforms. They wear different stuff. And they're not, they're not going to do what other Americans do. No shit. And, uh, what, and what is the shake uh, translation? A shake is like, uh, I don't know, the leader. Shakes of Nabahar, they call it. Yeah. The, yeah, Shakes like we, we, we were the, you know, I mean, that's the difference between like special forces and everybody can tell the difference of how you look and how you operate. Yeah. And they're just like, they're aggressive and they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't play by like the SOP that we've seen. Yeah. And so at some given point, you know, when they would shoot mortars at it, at, you know, oh, mortar 30 or oh, rocket o'clock, <laughs> like every single day it was something, you know, we would go to villages and we would, sometimes you know who the bad guys are and like they would you'd round everybody up, all the military age males, you put them in town and then like someone mean mugs everybody else. And you realize like, Oh, someone doesn't live here. And you didn't need to have your interpreter to go talk to them. Like, you're just like, those are the bad guys. What and did then, you guys do with them? I, it wasn't so much what we did with them as what the, the locals did. Right. And did so you see any, uh, instant fucking hands of justice. I mean, I, I think that that probably went on. Yeah. Nothing the, uh, that you guys were witness to though. I, I mean, no, the, it was so apparent who the bad guys were. It was like almost like a comic book villain, like, you know, <laughs> twirling their mustache. And you're just like, and then you'd go ask, you're like, what house do you live in? And they were like, I live in that house. And they're just like, you'd go up to one other person in the town, like, what house do they live in? And they're like, I don't know them. And, and they're just like, like oh, the, the, the town of like 20 people. Yeah. Oh, you don't know them. Yeah. And they're just like, no, oh, no, I forgot. That, no, I forgot. They live in that house. And you're like, okay. And you do that through an interpreter. But it was like. Yeah. I mean, it was, they were twirling their mustaches. They were bad. And like every time like you'd go roll up on a town, you're like, hey, we've been attacked from here. And like that's how you'd find people. And so like the Afghani local police, the Afghani National Army who would do it, you know, they, they would take care of business. And then like when you're in gunfights, like you just, you go all out. Yeah. And so like, you know, we would, we'd be driving in these, you know, little ATVs, you know, where you have no protection from anything. And, you know, you're driving around hills and all of a sudden you get opened up on, you know, driving to and from places. And instead of, you know, just patrol the contact or something like that. You do it a little bit more diabolical. You set up people in you know the hills. You try to you try to bait them into stuff, and then you try to do something when you bait them so that they stop attacking you. Was that uh, a tactic that was effective? Yes. Did you? Can you? Uh, is there a particular instance that it was masterfully uh, effective that you could share? I don't know that like a particular instance that was masterful, but like I think just you know, you get onesies, twosies here and there, and like, you're just aggressive with it. And they're just like, they don't know what's coming. And you, the beauty is you can hear them on the radios yeah. and they talk to each other. And all of that is like out in the open. And you listen to like the ICOM radios and you hear what they're saying. And you're just like, oh, they have no idea where we are. And we know where they are. And they're kind of revealing their position. And we went from the most attacked 
base in Afghanistan to never being attacked again. Really? Yeah. Were there uh, tangible missions that you guys went on um, during that deployment, or or were they all kind of you know recon by fire, you know, patrol? I mean, based? I mean, I don't know. I think a lot of it was like the presence and just to know that like we would go to the villages that were bad, particularly on this one where we knew that they were attacking us from and we would give them retribution. You know, we would go, you know, when we found bad guys or something like that, you find a cache, you go burn down the whole thing that's with it and you blow it up and, you know, you, 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 you know, try to make the example that you can so you don't get attacked anymore. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> were you a sniper at that point? Yes. So between I went to sniper, breacher, and JTAC between. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So you got all the uh, Yeah, the even, after get, even after getting in trouble, they let me go to all the schools. <laughs> That's a, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, did you use any, uh, any sniper tactics? Uh, oh, absolutely. So that you would set up with like a sniper, you do like sniper hides to like bait. And so that you would, you'd end up having like a, a patrol of those LTVs drive out somewhere and you'd figure out and like, you'd have like, you know, small man elements and like you'd go dig in the hills and see if you could go shoot at stuff. What uh, gun were you using? Uh, 300 room mag was my favorite. So we had like these targets that were set up. So where our, our little base was, I had like old Russian tanks that were like burned out there. And so we would like call Cass in on them all the time. So you get like A-10s, you'd shoot at them. You're like, it's okay for you to shoot at them. Yeah. And then we had all these steel targets. So like, oh, at like cool. super far distances. So we yeah. got to shoot like super far distances every day. Yeah. Did, uh, any real world sniper shots? Yes. Can you uh, share? Uh, L- looking right, looking right, to the couch for, right. uh, for approval. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't probably talk about that. I probably won't have my wife listen. Um, she probably won't anyway. So she's supportive that way, right? So there was there was one where they were reporting we're in a town that was like one of these bad towns, and so I had my three hundred wind mag, and every day I'd been shooting at seventeen hundred yards because that was where our furthest target was. It was like. Um, it was like I was dialed all the way out on the scope. It was as far as the scope could go. And I had to do a hold on top of being dialed all the way out. And so I shot it every single day. And we had a bunch of dudes who were waiting on us on a hill. And I was a sniper element outside of the town. And they were kind of rampaging the town. We're like, a lot was going on. I don't, you were in the town. So he says a shit show. And a lot of, like, there was a lot of noise going on. And there was a lot of dudes. And they're like, we're going to attack. And we got this huge edit, you know, whatever a huge group were going to attack these Americans, right? And we, we heard, just kept hearing it, and we saw a bunch of dudes reporting on us. And uh, we ended up shooting a, uh, a javelin out at a group of guys, and we got them with a javelin. And I was with that element, and we are just like, okay, cool. And then guys started coming up after the javelin was, was gone. And when I lazed it, it was 1,705 yards. Oh, shit. And you're like, and it was early <laughs> in the morning. You're like, no wind, center mass. And so I, uh, I, I, saw a dude who came up and he's reporting on it. And like, it was right after we got those dudes and uh, you know, reporting on our location and like amassing more dudes. And he was at 1705, pulled the trigger. And I, I saw it hit the dust in front of him. I'm like, ah, oh, missed. And uh, on ICOM, he, I got him. No so shit. It, like I, I missed, but it tumbled into him. Wow. So at, at 1705. Dude, that's so incredible. Man. The, uh, I mean, we heard him. I tr- I try to like go out to the element uh, to get him, and you know, the that we we ended up getting called back. But like, we had this you know pretty kinetic day, and then we got attacked by probably like twenty dudes on the way home. And so they were on like a hill. They knew where our base was. They knew where we were going. 
And so this was early on, like when we we're, you know, trying to establish like what we're doing. So the, we probably had on those side-by-sides on the drive home that day, I was the last vehicle because I was like a sniper element. So, you know, you do like a, basically like a point man in the front and the back. I was with another dude and in a side-by-side on an area from a hilltop. And I think that I probably got shot for a full mile at, at it by belt-fed machine guns by about 20 guys. They were far. So they, it was like close to where like it stopped cracking. So like the, you know, it was close to maximum effective range, but we're like driving left, right, left. Right. And, and like, it's like, like the bullets are just like, there's dust powder, you know, just in front of you. Like, what is that? Oh my God. And like, and you're just saying, fuck, 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 fuck. And like, you're, you're going 40 miles an hour in a side by side, which is, you know, a golf, a golf cart, basically just getting shot at. And you're just like, I have no armor. I feel as naked as you possibly could feel. And we drove all the way to this one building that was like the only building in the area and, uh, you know, we, we amassed everybody else. And so we're like, you know, trying to return fire and getting air over like this, this ridge line. And you see all these dudes and, you know, black things with like PKMs that have been shooting at you. And, uh, you know, the, the day ended and uh, we ended up living in that house. Uh, that was their next thing. That's where we did our VSO site. We lived in this thing that we had attacked at that was really? like, well, we're like, it's pretty far away from like a belt fed machine gun. That's about the maximum effective range. Yeah, let's live there. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So that, that whole ride home, did you guys respond or were you just bagging ass? I mean, it was a, a combination of both. Yeah. Like we couldn't drive up into the hills and, and do that. And by the time that we ended up getting air support, I think a lot of those guys were gone. But like it was, it was that was a, a pretty kinetic day. Yeah. Dude, yeah. 1705. That's fucking, that's wild. I mean, I missed, but uh, you know. Well, not really. I mean. Yeah, I got him ultimately. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah. That's crazy. Um, <clears throat> there, there's a lot of luck that one. Yeah. I mean. I, I tend to disagree. I mean, if uh, I mean to me that that shot, especially with you practicing uh, that specific distance so so much, I think uh, you know that's that's impressive. That's awesome. Um, so for for the rest of that uh, deployment, then it was it was pretty similar to those types of things where um, you know just kind of bringing walking with a big stick and letting everybody know not to yeah i mean for the most part and then you know the the winter came and then you can't go anywhere and it was yeah. some of the most miserable time we were living in you know we had an area where the cbs had built and gave us hot water you know good food they brought in like a cook they did all these the cook didn't last very long <laughs> what happened with that i they, you know they brought like an actual like cs like a culinary specialist in the navy and they're like i'm gonna cook you eggs every morning it's gonna be great and then like a month in he's just like fuck this i cannot get shot at anymore <laughs> like this ain't happening so oh yeah so like we we he came so he came off like the helicopter and uh we had like you know we had like you know little bunkers where you're supposed to run uh, you know if, if something happened and uh you know, we had a couple of guys get hurt during some of these attacks. Like guys, you know, like the get, they got fragged by some of these things. We're getting closer every day, but uh, for the most part, like nobody ran to the shelters. You ran to the towers to go shoot back. Like yeah. no, nobody was like in our bunkers, but we had bunkers. And so the uh, the cook was brand. You know, he had just landed with like a helicopter. With you know, we're getting mail or something with that, and everybody's really excited. And uh, and maybe we got attacked, and maybe we didn't. Like at this point, like you don't. We did. We're getting attacked. Oh, so after the helo took off, they started mortaring us. So like no one really knew that he had showed up and he had ran into one of the bunkers and he didn't hear an all clear. So he stayed there. And I'm telling you, that guy was in the bunker for five hours <laughs> and like by himself and being like, 
just just like sweating through Freedom. his clothes and we're like yo man can i get an omelet yeah you know what i mean like everybody's pretty cavalier at that point and it's just like oh, that's fucking yeah weird. yeah that's wild uh yeah cookie <laughs> what uh for the rest of that deployment does anything stand out as uh being uh, worth worth mentioning any other operations that uh, that went a certain way no i mean I, I would just say that like we had leadership changes in it because you know the we didn't really feel like we got supported with like the air support and stuff with the level of attack and whatever yeah. it was and like there was i, I don't want to get into the weeds of that but there's like my pretty much every, almost every deployment my bosses got fired yeah so my first boss in the first one brian bourgeois he got basically fired because we had a Christmas party. Yeah. And so he ended up becoming the commanding officer of teammate, but, uh, so he got fired. And then my second one, my OIC got fired. Um, what, what for? Uh, maybe how we were doing like con ops or like the aggression or whatever it was. Yeah. It didn't line up with that. I don't fully know. I was not, you yeah. know, I was a one platoon guy trying to get after it. And, you know, I was not yeah. going into the, the bureaucracy of what that was. Yeah. And then, the last one was was different anyway, so that was yeah. So speaking of which, so you you come home after the second one, uh, more more uh, in terms of necessary decompression on your your part. Or so that that, that one was different. So like Adam was like one of my best friends that I've ever had in my life. Um, I was very different than him. You know, our backgrounds are totally different. You know, we were just like, dude, I don't think that we would ever be friends if it weren't for the SEAL teams. Like. He grew up like on a shrimp farm in uh, in Missouri, and like he's he was always like the first to fight and whatever. He's just like a selfless, like awesome dude. But he was like he was always trying to throw down. I, you know, I was a little bit more cerebral and uh, nerdy. I don't know. And like he like we'd go out and he just like always fight and always do this. And I'm like, man, what are you what are you doing? Yeah. And he's just like, dude, we just don't like see the world in the same way. And it's like, but he was like one of my absolute best friends. And I, you know, I, I, he was, he started buds before me, but rolled into the class and then, you know, we were together and he was just. So he's more of a Gryffindor and you're more of a Ravenclaw. Right. Right. You guys in the fucking I'm Harry Potter? I'm, I'm straight Slytherin material. Right. Um, the, my, my daughter's reading all those right I now. Love She's super shit. into it. But, yeah. you know, it was just. It was weird, you know, in, in, in these stresses in your life, what go on and, and what what it does to you. Yeah. And the friends that you make are just the bonds are so strong. And, like, that was that was a hard thing to make. And so I did the only thing that I was uh, – that I could do in that situation is I went crazy and just said, I'm only going to be this. And, like, it, it was not good. Yeah. And, and it was just, like, more action right now, more action right now. And uh, it was – I – needed time to decompress that and it i didn't have it and i really did another one right after what was it a quicker turnaround for the third so it wasn't so like i had a weird thing happen i went and tried to go to damn neck so i screened in between and so i didn't make it through the class and uh so you went to green team and didn't make it. i went to green team and i didn't make it and uh can you share what uh it, it, like house runs yeah. so i i didn't i was a sniper that whole deployment and i came home i was not really ready to go and we probably got home in April and green team started in April. And it was just like, I didn't, I was like running on treadmills and it was like, I was not prepared and I hadn't like cleared a house in you know, two years basically by the time, you know, that I was going. And, you know, I think I I figured out what that game was, you know, I rescreened. Um, but I, I, they were just like, go to trade at. And I was like, I'm not going to trade at. I have no interest in that. So I went back to team four and it was like, will you take me back? And they said, yeah, let me go deploy again. 
I, I'm not. I am not training. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go to deploy. Like, that's the only thing for me. During that window of time between your second and third deployment, um, in, in the kind of decompressing and processing uh, the loss of, of one of your best friends, were there any um, kind of dark self-destructive behaviors or habits that you fell into, or, or did you just deflect into default aggression? Numbness. Just numbness. <clears throat> like, I didn't, you know, I, I actually... Did I get married in between? Like I was engaged. I was with my That's wife. That's a pretty the whole destructive time. behavior. <laughs> I know no, your wife's awesome. not listening. She's anyway, right? I, I can't let her listen to this now. <laughs> that's that's for sure. She will definitely. She does. She wouldn't anyway, probably. But uh, the the amount of just like keep moving forward, do not stop. I mean, that's the thing. I should have probably gone to trade at. Like I probably yeah. should have figured myself out, but I didn't. Yeah. And I didn't like. I'm not like a big drinker or anything like that. Like that, I didn't do that. I just wanted to go do it. I was, you know, one of the, you know, I, I felt like, you know, failing on a green team was like the biggest failure of my life. And, you know, oh my God, I got to like, I'm going to perfect this. So like I did house runs like every minute of every day that I could possibly do that for the next like two to three years. Yeah. Um, did you rescreen ever? I did. Yeah. And I, I got picked up to go again, but it, I'll, I'll get into it, but I, I ended up getting into Wharton at the same time, and I, I knew that it was time to move on. Yeah. Fucking Wharton. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely get into that. Uh, I get emails from them a lot about uh, leadership programs and MBAs and, and stuff, which I I've know, got I no, know, no I know business. Who's, I know who you're e who's emailing <laughs> you anyway. Um, <coughs> the, uh, all right, so g getting into the third deployment, um, how did that contrast from, from the second as far as what uh, your objectives were? So we ended up doing a strike force mission on the, the third one. So I went back to Afghanistan, back to the basically the same region, except I was in charge of like the commandos, the Afghani commandos. And so that's like a thousand people. So it was, you know, a FID mission, foreign internal defense, like the Green Beret mission. And then I was, we were going to go do strike force missions with them. So you'd have, I was like a team lead at this point. So I'd have like a hundred commandos under me and my buddy would have a hundred commandos under him. And then like our OIC in chief would be in like, a C2 element and they're like, go clear the villages. And, and so I would do that. So I was basically, you know, running a big team at that point. And um, we'd go in the areas that were bad. And so that was a lot more kinetic than my first, but probably not as much as, I don't know, it was a mix. Yeah. We definitely got into more what I thought of like strategic gunfights and those kind of things more, more often during those missions. Oh, uh, gentlemen and ladies, are you tired of having uh, buckwheat in a leg lock as far as your downstairs is concerned? I know I was, and so I turned to Manscaped. And uh, this one, which uh, reeks of excellence, is the actual one that I shorn my sack with. Uh, this is the, the regular Manscaped model. It's got, <clears throat> if you're a really hairy bastard like I am, it's got two different guards for different lengths. They do have an ear and nose hair trimmer. You get to be my age, uh, and that shit starts to grow. Uh, this works exceptionally well and is very gentle as, uh, also. They have the Crop Reviver. Uh, this is also known as a ball toner, which, uh, you know, if you're getting ready to do the damn thing and, um, and you want to not offend anybody, then the ball toner works great. And this is the Crop Preserver, which is ball deodorant. Uh, both of them are fantastic products. Manscaped is a hell of a brand. They're extremely supportive of veteran companies such as this one and the Mic Drop podcast. Uh, I do use the shit out of this product. It's even got this little light on it. You can hear that. Ladies, I know you know what that sounds like. 
So I use their products. I love their products. I have for a number of years now. And uh, now that they're working with us, if you go to manscaped.com, the code is mic drop, all one word, capital letters. And that's for 20% off all of the ball manscaping products that you could possibly want. And again, ladies, you can use these too, because uh, God knows we all need a little bit of help down there. Uh, how difficult was interacting with training, directing, and managing uh, the Afghan commandos? I mean, you see and hear uh, quite a few horror stories about what what a, what a goat rope that is. What, what was your experience with that? So, I mean, I have no training training other people, right? Like, I, the SEAL teams are amazing people, and I, I almost think... You know, I don't want to take the wind out of anybody's sails, but if you're a leader of SEALs, that's not that hard of a job. (laughs) Like, people would be like, I will cut my heart out just to be 1% better. Like, it's not that hard. Like, I I worked at Amazon. I had people who were making, you know, $17 an hour. Yeah. And, uh, with not quite the same standard. They, you know, they literally quit on you that minute. But, like, dude, I want 15 more minutes for lunch. I quit. Bye. Yeah. And so the, the experience of like, I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, you, you have a thousand people who it's like babysitting, even though they're commandos, you know, they have, they've, they've done it again and again and again. Some are very good. Um, but that's, I mean, it was, there was one person to five people out of a, you know, a thousand that were like actually like a comparable force to us. And if, if that, and then you'd have, you know, 30 people who were like, okay. And then you had, you know, 970, that were scary. Yeah. And, and so you're like, I could get shot in the back at any given point. Yeah. And that actually happened on our deployment. We had two green berets who were under our same thing who got killed by the commander. Right. Fuck. And that, and I'm assuming that was an intentional thing, right? Oh yeah. It a, yeah. It was, you know, whatever green on green or whatever that called green on blue or yeah. whatever they call that. Fuck man. How did you guys deal with that? It was bad. So <clears throat> it wasn't in our element. It was a different group, but it was under our soda. So our boss, my boss was Joe Price. And uh, the when those Green Beret, like we, we, our force was like, when something like that happened, we'd go like clear the whole valley and, and go do that. So every time something bad happened, like my group was the biggest group. So we'd go fly in and go do a mission. And, you know, you get into some gunfights, you know, whatever does or doesn't happen. Everybody was like, oh, it's going to be this huge thing. And usually they fizzled out. It wasn't like that bad. But like, after Americans get killed, like it's really bad. And then you go look at the dudes face to face, the the green berets, who's your brothers and you know that they lost a brother and you're like, man, I'm sorry. Like, what can we do? Like, I will do anything for you. Like I, whatever you want, I'll do. And unfortunately we had a lot of that, this, that deployment, a lot of green on blue. So we had two of those and then we had guys get killed. So we had two seals get killed. What, uh, what were the circumstances? So in a different, you know, you know, they were doing like a VSO kind of mission and a guy, Matt Cantor got shot from like really far away. And I think it was just a lucky shot. And, you know, I think he got shot from like 800 yards away or something like that. And then like it went between plates and he got killed. And, uh, I, you know, I don't even know if it's anybody doing anything wrong. It was just like where they were at the time. And so the same kind of thing after he died, we're going to have all the commandos from, you know, where you're at, go clear everything out and you go see your brothers face to face. And you're like, fuck man, sorry, I'll do anything you want. And like we're doing missions like that. What what was the, uh, the other guy? So this is like, I was directly involved in, uh, Kevin Ebert. So Kevin Ebert was one of my best friends. Um, and I was literally talking to him when he died. So I was, it was talking to me on the radio. His last words were to me. 
So we had, and I physically carried, helped carry his body out. Um, that was the most harrowing day of my life. Um, so the, we were in another area. Hey, it's getting attacked all the time. This is a really bad place. And Green Beret were, you know, the, the owners of the village operation, like little thing where they're supposed to live and train with people. And they're like, dude, we get attacked every day. There's this terrible valley. And they're like, we're by these mountains, right? So in the mountains, people are like attacking near them. We don't know where they're coming. And it's all the time. And like, dude, if you go clear this village that's at the bottom of the mountain, there's two villages. Like you're going to get in the worst gunfights you've seen in like years and years and years. And like, we had heard that story so many times. We're like, okay, cool. So you prep for it. And we're like, you know what? Let's get a little cute. Let's have like a really good plan. So we, we flew in, uh, in the mountains, uh, overwatches that were like, dude, no one's going to know that they're there. We're going to fly them in early and then we'll have the commandos clear. And if somebody like kind of tries to go in the mountains, like it'll be like shooting, you know, fish in a barrel. It'll be like the easiest thing. And it's, it's what a tactical plan. It was really great. And like, we came up with that plan. I came up with part of that plan. Right. And we had, we took a while to, to plan it. It was probably like 10 days where we were just like, okay, we're going to do it. And we went out on like November 24th, 2012. So just about 10 years ago, a little bit more now. And Kevin was like a sniper element and he was in charge of that. And they landed at like 12,000 feet and I was probably at like 6,500 feet or something like that. And they were going to have to like down climb to a position. And so he was supposed to be the overwatch and he had a group, a couple of Afghanis with him, but he had a couple of new guys. So he was the most senior guy in it. And I had like a, a group of like 75 commandos and like four NSW. So like maybe three seals and EOD guy. And then I had a couple of green beret with me. And because it was like their home and they're like, well, we're just kind of overwatch. So I was like, the commandos to do all the clearing, you know, we'll, we'll kind of go do our thing. And, you know, we'll just hang out together. And if something happens, we'll address it together with like the, basically the seals and the green beret if the commandos can't get it in the village. But the commandos were clearing the village and it was massive. And my buddy was like really far away, like two miles away or something, clearing another village that they were also doing overwatch. So he had 100. So I had 75, he had 100. And so we're going to do that. We're going to meet in the middle, right? And that was the plan. And it was going to, you know, and we were going to get play whack-a-mole when we push everybody out towards the mountains. And they're like, oh, guess what? We were hiding the whole time. So I was talking to Kevin. So they landed like hours before us. I landed, you know, two hours before dawn or something like that. They went in at like midnight. And somewhere they realized that to down climb was too dangerous. And like our, you know, I, I pride myself on being a sniper and a point man. And uh, it was... Like, I, I still am upset that I didn't do it with him and sit down as like, this is how I would do it. And I did, and, but he was competent. So it's like one of those things. This is our plan. We thought that th this was a good spot and it was more treacherous than he thought, particularly at night on nods down climbing. Like he was going to lose like three to 4,000 feet of elevation. Wow. And they ended up coming to a sheer cliff and they're just like, all right, we're going to stop right here we're going to wait till first light to down climb. This is too dangerous. Like, I know that there's other ways. I'm like, Oh God, he should like, I'm thinking in my mind where he was and what was going on. And I was like, okay, cool. And at some given point, we're like, all right, there's enough light. Let's have the commando start clearing. And just, you know, they're, they're banging indoors and they're doing stuff like that. I hear bolt action rifles in the, in the mountains. And I'm just like, okay, our guys are taking shots. Those are bolt action rifles. 
and then you know saying you know we're taking enemy fire and you're like okay and so i'm talking to kevin so he's on the on the radio saying that i'm the closest element to him and i'm the team lead of the element i'm the team so i'm talking to me and like our c2 element he's too far away for them to even hear and they were between terrains so i'm like relaying anyway to our c2 element and so i'm talking to him i have like a map out i'm like okay where are you i'm like I'm at, you know, this location and he, I couldn't hear it. And he's like, I'm taking effective fire. And you're like, all right, dude, I'm going to come up. I'm going to, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to take an element. I'm coming up. What's your location? And so he starts reading out the, the 10 digit grid. And so he got through the first five and then he got the sixth digit. And then I heard a, uh, a shot and he stopped talking. And so, you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, what, what's your position? I'm coming to you. What's your position? I'm coming to you. And he didn't hear anything, didn't hear anybody respond. And ultimately, bad things are going through my head. I'm like, he got shot. Like, that's what happened. And then someone called out Bonehead. And so Bonehead is not what you're supposed to say. Bonehead is a training thing for man down. So I knew what it meant. In my heart, I knew what it meant. And I was like, are, you're confused because you said the wrong words. You're supposed to say man down if it's us, so it couldn't be that. But like I, I knew in my heart what it was. And then he's like, no, man down, man down. And he was whispering. And he's just like, tell me where it is. Give me the, the grids. Wouldn't give me the grids. Um, who, so who was on the radio? It was then? the EOD guy. Okay. So none of the other SEALs, nobody else was talking on the radio, and they were whispering. And, you know, I, they were probably like 5,000 feet above my head, and they were probably, I, I didn't know where. Eventually, I get a grid from the EOU guy through whispers. And he's like, you know, I'm like, five, three, you know, whatever it was. And I got it. And you're like, oh, they're, they're fucked. And I, I turned to the Green Berets, and they had done the FID mission. And I'm like, look, dude, I'm not dealing with the commandos anymore. Like, you got them. That's my brother. I'm going. And so I was like, we don't really have like, I don't, I'm not the comps, the green beret guys. So I was like, you guys have this mission, right? Like you've done this before. I talked to them. They're like, we got it, dude. So I went with three other guys. I had an EOD guy and we're like, we're going to go, we're going to go to this. So full speed sprint on like a goat trail that, uh, that was supposed to be IED. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to go over the rough train. I'm going to do this the fastest way possible. I'm running on this trail. I've never, I don't think I'm going to light anything off. I'm going to lead it. Um, so I was a JTAC. I took control of air as I'm like dead sprinting. Um, I have like a new guy with like the, the, the AW gun. And uh, I'm, I have my puff jacket under my, it was cold. So I have my puff jacket under my, my body armor at that point, And I'm dead sprinting in it. And I'm probably going a mile maybe. And I'm gaining four to 5,000 feet elevation. I don't Fuck. know. What, what elevation were you at at the time about? Maybe like 6,500. And I was, they were at like 10, yeah. something. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what yeah. it was, but like, you know, we're, we're at high desert yeah. kind of thing. And I didn't know exactly where they were, what elevation were they? Cause they started at like 12. And so I'm telling you, I, I, it was a full sprint and I came to a sheer cliff that was hundred feet tall. And like that, I was like, I'm 50 yards from where they're supposed to be. So I was like, they're on top of this. So I slung my gun and I started climbing. And like, like the guys I was with, like, they're like, I'm, I'm a rock climber. I was into it. Like I climbed with Kevin all the time. Like every trip we went on, everywhere we went, I'm like, I'm fucking going. And, uh, 
I realized like I can't get up that way. I was like, okay, I'm going to go around. So I down climb, go up like around the hill of like where I think I can get over him. And they're still, they're still whispering. Like they're not, they're not moving. Nobody's talking to me on the radio. And I know that it's bolt action. I know that like other people are alive. There's no way that like everybody's dead or anything like that. Like, and I kept talking, talking to the guy and it's like, Hey, Lima one, that was his call sign. Lima one, are you there? He's like, he's down. And you're like, Oh, he's, he's dead. Like there's like, I can't get to him in like that, that hour there, there's no way. And so I, I don't know how long that actually took us to get there, but maybe it was like 45 minutes or something like, like of, of like the worst fucking thing in your entire life. I started, I did another up climb and I, I was arrogant enough with my gun that'd be like, dude, with my M4, I got this guy fucking dead to rights. Like whoever's there, like I'm going to get them before they get me. Cause I'm, there's no way. And at that given point, having like a lot of the, a lot of the bad things that had happened. And I think extortion happened in between. And like one of my mentors was in that. And like, so I was friends with all those guys. Like I was like, I'm coming home. I'm not going to waste my life on something that's unimportant. And that day I was like, I'm fucking done. I don't care what happens to me. And so I'm talking to the, the, the helos that were overhead. They can't see anything. Nobody's responding to it. And I'm like sheer climbing a thing that nobody can follow me and nobody can support. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to fucking use my, my M4 and like, I don't care. Like it's going to happen. Eventually I down climbed. My buddy had reached me at that point, um, in the other element. And then we went around and like I crested and then I realized I was overwatched for those guys. And as soon as like I was overwatched to them, I was like, dude, I got you. Ain't nobody going to be able to shoot you. And I was over them. So they were on like a, maybe a 10 to 20 foot cliff. He got shot probably like 50 yards away with a bolt action gun of somebody who was sleeping in a cave and you're like at 12,000 feet. Like it does, it didn't make any sense. And he got shot in the, in the head. And at the end of it, like we had, you know, the, the, the helicopter had like uh, PJs and stuff. And they're just like, Hey, we can, we can crane them out. We can hoist them. And you're like, if somebody's in the Hills and we don't know it, like, no, we're not doing that. So we physically had to carry him and down carry him for like, I don't know, three hours. So covered in his blood. Like I, I remember what he smelled like. I remember seeing like his wedding ring on it and And like I, I knew his wife, yeah. we were friends. Like we, and knowing what that meant, yeah. And I would say so. We carried him out, and we finally get back to like the the base where everybody had like consolidated, and that's where we're like broke down. Like we, there, there was no L, like we were fucking going, 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 and then like everybody sees you, everybody's in tears, and you're like, and then it hit you, and you're yeah. like, fuck. From the time that you uh, realized what had happened talking to him on the radio uh, until you got back, what was the, ba the ballpark time frame that, that took place? Was it five hours? Yeah, probably by lunchtime we were back, something like that. And, and I, I literally sweat through like a puff jacket. Yeah. Um, did the, uh, whoever was sleeping in the cave, did you guys ever see? So, so... Our interpreter, who I think is an Uber driver in Chicago, I think he got him. Really? So, yeah. Do you know any of the details on that? So he, 
he squirted in a different direction that wasn't that, and they got him. I mean, like, oh, no our sure. interpreter got him. Taz Agul. That's fucking wild. He's an Uber driver in Chicago. Uh, yeah. Do you keep in touch with him at all? A little bit. I have his number. I have. I. I probably should be better about it, but uh, the a lot of those interpreters that uh, we kind of didn't do so well by. Yeah. They matter. Oh, I know it. I just had uh, this guy Aziz on with Chad Robichaud that was a Force Recon guy that for like <clears throat> 12 years was his main, yeah. not just interpreter, but like fixer. You know, it was like, oh, you're going to this, this region. I need to hook you up with this guy so that you don't, you know, step on your dick and cause problems or what, you know, whatever. And, uh, yeah, I had, had, he's living with him now. And it was kind of that like last ditch effort of, um, like the last, he, he was on one of the last flights out, and I mean, it was a, it's a fucking crazy story. But we, yeah, we have uh, in our company, we've got a guy who was one of the last people out on the last flights, and uh, I'm, we're trying to right a wrong. Yeah, and I, he, he's I can't say his name or anything like that, but sure. we're because um, he his family's still in danger. But some mutual friends connected us, and uh, we have somebody working our company who is over there so speaking of uh, of morning routine and really throughout the day you know health and fitness and overall well-being is something that uh, i focus on as i get older i get more and more kind of in tune with what works and what doesn't um, <clears throat> and i recently started working with uh, ketone iq which is hvmn.com uh, um, this product is uh, is a really really good way to start the day uh, as well as basically just anytime you need uh, a boost from an energy standpoint. Uh, you're getting ready to do something physically demanding, mentally demanding. Uh, you know, before I record, I take a shot. First thing in the morning I do before workouts uh, to recover after workouts. Um, you know, I, I take it multiple times a day. Um, and it's, I mean, there's no sugar, it's vegan, there's no caffeine, there's no salt, gluten, no artificial flavors or sweeteners. Uh, and it, it works from a, a ketogenic standpoint. Uh, giving your brain and body the fuel uh, that it needs to do tasking um, uh, tasks. So, you know, it, it's a phenomenal product, uh, an amazing company. That's HVMN.com, and the code is MICDROP, all one word, all caps, for 20% off. Uh, I can't recommend this product enough for, um, again, getting going in the morning, uh, pre-workout, post-workout. Uh, you're tired in the afternoon. Uh, it's a, a super healthy way to feed your brain and your body from that uh, kind of glycogen replenishment standpoint that uh, that tends to crash a lot of people when they're using caffeine products or carb products, et cetera. So uh, I love this stuff. Uh, I use it uh, several times throughout the day, uh, and I encourage you guys to, to check it out as well. It's uh, hvmn.com, and that code is MICDROP for 20% off, all caps, all one word. I also, on my first deployment, I worked with Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker oh, was shit. our interpreter our first yeah. deployment, so you know every, everybody knows him. Oh yeah, I had him on a couple of years ago. It was, it was right uh, right when his book came out. And, yeah, uh, he was absolutely fucking bombed drunk during the entire interview. He was bombed drunk. He, he was yeah. bombed drunk during my whole deployment, but fact, he was still awesome. Yeah, still no, awesome. agreed. It was. Uh, I mean, it's it's worth watching. I, I think uh, <laughs> for that, like he showed up still drunk from the night before right. and was like, do you have anything to drink? And I gave him a, a bottle of like, I don't remember. It was, it was bourbon Blanton's maybe. I don't know. He drank the That's whole fucking good. bottle uh, during Blanton's. the interview and got just fucking plowed, like even further plowed. I was like, dude, I don't know how, how are you doing what you're doing right now? And uh, yeah, it was crazy. Like uh, he, he kissed me and I tried to give him a, a book that he talked about in his book that meant something to him and he wouldn't take it. It was a, it was a fucking total circus, but 
So uh, that was, describes the deployment that I had, which was yeah. very towards the end of his career. So he yeah. was he was pretty cavalier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An amazing guy, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, going back to um, that particular operation, um, was there? I know you said that uh, that you guys think that uh, that your interpreter got him, but was there any um, from an after action hot wash standpoint any uh, details of the resistance and kind of how it, it went wrong that, that you guys were privy to, or was it just kind of a fucking freak thing or what, what? I think a lot of it is a freak thing. And I, you know, I, this is something we have to live with. This is like our plan. Yeah. Right. And like, I was absolutely do that. Like, so like, I mean, there, there's stuff that still bothers me about that. No doubt. Like could, you know, would I have done something differently? Of course I would have, but yeah. like, was that knowable, not no. based on the intelligence that we had. And that, that was such like a far out thing that, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that kind of lives with us. And, you know, it was basically we had a right before the mission, it was basically Thanksgiving. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that day was, but it ends up being on Thanksgiving a lot, the 24th. And uh, we, we all put uh, a hand and drew a turkey, a dumb, stupid thing. All of us did it. And like we do it, and, you know, like people, you know, do dicks on it and whatever it is, <laughs> as you would. And, uh, and, and Kevin was a classical guitarist major, like a classical music oh, major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he was going to go be a doctor. Wow. So it was like literally like one of his last missions, if not his last mission, they were going to send him home early. He got accepted into a medical school. Fucking yeah. unbelievable dude. Yeah. And, uh, and he never got to do that. And he went and drew his turkey hand and, uh, it was beautiful. It was perfect. Yeah. And it was like an artist drew it. And we had all of these like amateur, whatever, it was a joke. Yeah. Everybody draw a turkey hand. And uh, like no Thanksgiving can possibly go by. And like you were like, I think that we made a joke even before, like you, we went into like our operation center, like which one did Kevin draw? Don't like, don't look at names. Just which one? Like, oh, obviously that one, it's amazing. Yeah. Because that, that's Kevin. Yeah. And uh, he was just, he was an amazing dude. Yeah. Did you um, find out who who the opposing forces were? Like the specifically the guy that made the shot. I mean, was he just a fucking like a, hired gun that was in the area? That yeah, just like some that random Taliban. Fucking nothing, yeah. nothing, uh, nothing that compelling. It was like yeah. a guy and a son in a in a cave. Wow, with a bolt action rifle. Man, I'm really sorry to hear that. I appreciate you sharing the story. I know that uh, is not easy. And I mean, that's that's still not the end though. So our commanding officer was Joe Price yeah, and committed suicide. committed suicide. So that was November, that was November 24th. And then a month <clears throat> later, so I would go into the operation center cause we were like the commando. So I was like one person who saw it and um, he ended up committing suicide on Christmas Eve. And he, it was, <clears throat> it was from those lessons of like, it's hard to, when you, when you own that on your shoulders and like what, what it is and what that means and the responsibility that you own like nobody owns that responsibility. Like it's, it's something that like I'm coming to terms like, was that my fault? Like I didn't, you know, I didn't do that. I, I own some of that. And like, that's something I I'll never not live with, but you know, I have to lead my life. I have to go do good. And like, I want to do good for Kevin. Yeah. And I want to, I want to be a change for good the way that I thought he would be. And the, you saw somebody fall apart in front of you. And our, our commanding officer was a tyrant, um, but he wasn't a bad person. I think in hindsight, like I, I hated him the day, like I was a new guy at team four and he was the executive officer. 
and he'd make me come over like the one I'm seeing, like call me up and be like, no, the, the, the like, please report to the quarterback. He's like, the XO doesn't say please, the XO commands. And you're like, oh. and he'd like, how I said it, something over the intercom, he'd like correct me again and again and again. And he was just, he was just a dick, as big of a dick as anybody I've ever met in my entire life. But it's because he wanted us to be perfect. And I understand that after the fact. I didn't get that in the moment. But I saw him deteriorate in front of me and I was like, a more junior guy, you know, they're like I was an E6 in the room and like I got to be in the room every time I saw the guy deteriorate and like we need to do something to help this guy. Like he is not okay. And he ended up killing himself on Christmas Eve and like that was a fucking shitty deployment. Holy yeah. cow. And, you know, with such good people too and, and, and where it went and like that leads on and you know, that was one of the last, you know, super kinetic, you know, more kinetic, we'll say it. It ended up getting like less and less and less. And it was even kinetic comparative to what? Like, I don't know. But like, I was, you know, I had the option before me to, to kind of get out. And like, I got into Wharton. I was going to go to Green Team right after that. And I decided, you know what? It's time to have a family. My wife was pregnant. And then I was just like, you know what? It's time to do something else. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. The I remember hearing about... Uh, him committing suicide and I know there was at least like rumor mill wise or um, there were some grumblings about whether or not it was like nefarious what was there any of that with you guys or was it like no it was pretty clear I think that he was just so hated that like people were like well I bet but he deteriorated so like he would he wouldn't make eye like he would run the meetings and sit at the head of the table and be like, you are going to do this. You are going to do this. You're going to do this report to me. He's like, that's not good enough. You're fired. Redo it. Like, I mean, that's how he behaved. Yeah. He would interrupt you. He was rude. He'd have a dip. He was like, oh, are you going to do this? Oh, right. and like, and he was doing it. Cause that's how he saw authority and commanding leadership and whatever it was. That's unfortunately how he learned it. So he did the same thing. Yeah. And the, that after Kevin got killed, I mean, we had two green beret, we had a seal and then Kevin and the, he knew Kevin. I don't, he didn't really know those other people, but he knew Kevin cause Kevin, like everybody loved him. Like, he was just yeah. awesome dude. And you saw it deteriorate and you're like, you would see him not eat, not sleep. And you're like, that guy's needs Fucking to go man. home. Yeah. And you know, maybe people told him, they said they told him, but I, I don't know. I wish I would have like gotten into his face, but it was like, you know, he's like, are you going to go tar Hey, Darth Vader, could you be nicer? And like, that's how I felt it was. And in hindsight, I'd go up to, I would go up to Darth Vader now and be like, cut this shit out. Yeah. Um, do you think he would have listened? I, I mean, I think that people probably tried. Yeah. So, so probably not, but I, I don't think that anything nefarious was, I know, yeah. you know, I, I know the guy went and found him, you know, they, Everybody knew he was dead. Like when he didn't show up to work one morning, they're like, it's it. He's gone. Really? Yeah. And we literally had a meeting in the room next to it. So it's like the door next to it. You're sitting at a table and you're like, there's a dead body in the next room from suicide. And we've lost all these other dudes. And by the way, it's Christmas fucking day. And our XO is like, Charlie might continue mission. And you're like, you're fucking bananas. Like, I, what's wrong with you? And you'd want it that way. It was like, he would want himself to be dead too. And like, we shouldn't do that. Like, and then we ended up taking a break and whatever, but like the, the, the madness of what leadership can be in those positions. Like I, I, unfortunately I've always learned from like bad experiences. Yeah. Don't, wow. don't repeat them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a fucking harrowing and uh tumultuous eight months. 
It was there was, a, there was a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. Man, uh, is there a thing that you can pick silver lining wise from that deployment? I mean, I have appreciation for the life that I have and the experience that I have and the teammates that I have and the bitterness that I've had towards like things that were bad in my life. I think that I've let a lot of that go away, but only kind of like by accepting my own flaws and doing it and having to go to a dark place afterwards because going a million miles an hour and having all these bad things. Cause I want to say that I was probably friends with about 30 people that we lost during that. Like I just, people I knew or had interactions with, like I, I probably knew 30 and then I was really close with probably like 10 or 12. Yeah. And like that stuff, when it gets silent and quiet, that's when like your demons come. Yeah. And so I, th I think that I'm on the other side of that now through like a lot of people helping and a lot of different things that we've done. But yeah, it, you know, going into business, I worked at, I went to Wharton, then I worked at Amazon afterwards. And it was just like a dark place for me. Like I wasn't happy doing whatever it was that I needed to do so that it was time for another mission and time for doing something that really matters to us. And that's like where Zero Eyes came from. Yeah. From hearing him kind of chronologically outline a number of years that you spent oh, yeah. working with him, is, is, does there anything stand out that, uh, you know, that's worth mentioning that he didn't cover or, or something that, that really resonates with you uh, about your time with him? You know, uh, there's just so much to cover because uh, we spent so much time together and that, that was a rough couple of years, I think for team four, it was, uh, took a decent amount of casualties and, but that's what we all signed up for. So there was a lot of peaks and valleys for us. Um, but you sign up for the SEAL teams cause yeah. you want to go to fucking war. You want to shoot people in the face. You want to defend your country. Revenge. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> now I think Rob covered the, uh, the big uh, high points. I think if we dove into the details anymore on those things, we might be putting ourselves in a bad spot. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. I, I appreciate the perspective. I guess since you're both sitting here, we'll, we'll uh, quickly ask, or I'd like to quickly ask about the withdrawal, having spent a fair bit of time and, and lost a lot of uh, brother's blood there and, and the sacrifices that you guys uh, went through there. How has that affected and impacted your guys's lives, mental health, et cetera, seeing the last, you know, year, year and change of, of what's gone on there. And, and, and how do you, how do you deal with it? You guys personally. Go ahead, Rob. Let's fucking do this. Go ahead. So, and if Sam, if you want to jump in too, you're welcome. Yeah, you should. You, I, I'll, I'll go take a shit. You sit here. I don't think, guys I, don't think I, can, I don't think I can be president after this. Um, <laughs> the, uh, it's, uh, so, yeah. We're one, fucked in the head. One of the things that you did, so I, I think that I was pretty, I went into the teams like, I went to a prep school in Connecticut. Yeah. I had my college degree before I enlisted. Like I was pretty well emotionally in the right place. Like I'm not a big drinker. I don't take drugs. Like I, I don't do any of that stuff. Like I, I wanted to be the guy who wore the white hat. Like that's the cowboy with the white hat. That's who I wanted to be. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, oh, I'm fine. And uh, I wasn't. And we went to business school. So he was a year ahead of me at Wharton. And, you know, we we had known each other the whole time in the teams. And so you went to Wharton also. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. And uh, like if we could tell like funny Mike Layoff stories of like how unlikely that is. But the, uh, I, I mean, I will say like, yeah, I mean, the, the kind of textbook consummate image you have in your head of Wharton business guys are, are not the two of you no offense knuckleheads but, the dumbest you know, uh you know whatever it is yeah 
I was special needs. <laughs> we came off that uh, the deployment where Kevin was killed. I got off the plane. I got accepted to Wharton during that deployment. I found out while I was in Afghanistan. Um, I, I did 10 years in the Navy. It was time for me to do something else. I have four kids at home. I want to spend more time with them. I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grow up. I was doing the job I wanted to do, and I was like, well, fuck, I guess I'll apply to this business school thing and figure it out. And I was like, if I'm going to apply to business school, I'm going to apply to the best damn schools that I can. And um, I grew up in Philly, so I was like, I'll apply to Wharton. I didn't even know what Wharton was when I first went into the Navy, by the way. But <laughs> anyway, so I applied, I got in, and so I stepped off the plane from that deployment and, like, no shit, within, like, four weeks I was in a classroom with a bunch wow. of students. I was How did you not in the right work? spot for that. Like, yeah. I should have waited a year or so. I waited a year, and it wasn't better. Yeah. Any, uh, like, significant altercations or, or big things happen when – going from such a, a dynamic environment to that. I mean, that's a, about as big a contrast shift as exists. Yeah. I'm try- uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was kind of a hot mess. Yeah. Um, but I was holding it together. I had to, cause I had a family. No, nothing really sticks out of like one specific thing, but, uh, just tough. Yeah. It was just tough. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the good thing was like Wharton has an awesome veterans club. Uh, there was a couple other SEALs at the school, uh, a couple Green Berets, and so we would all get together for beers like once a week on campus and commiserate over beers and wings, and that really helped. Yeah. And then Rob was there the next year. Sam Sam left the SEAL Team 4 at the same time as me. Um, we left at the same time. He went to business school at New York City, Columbia, and Sam grew up in a coal mining town in Pennsylvania. Like, yeah. we're all e-dogs here. Yeah. It was like amazing we got accepted to these schools and so sam and i would call each other all the time and commiserate and yeah so yeah. whatever we're still here putting that's one foot wild. in front of the other that's why that's really cool um so uh, before we get into into how the three of you kind of connected that way just real quick you, you spent time uh, at amazon for a, sh- a short period what was that for about two years so it was like probably like the what being the big navy i would imagine is so i had you know putting stuff in boxes and shipping it. So, you know, the, the, the biggest shift I ever ran was like 1200 people some, somewhere. I mean, during so Christmas, it's like, so you're managing fulfillment that's it, operations. Right. That's it. Yeah. You know, you're in charge of a warehouse. You don't see the, the daylight a whole lot and it's a good job. Like it's, yeah. you know, you went to a business school, you get a job that you're in charge of a lot of stuff and it's this really big, cool company. And like, it didn't scratch any itch that I had. And it was just like the demons and like, the poor leadership stuff you would see and it's, you know, the corporate America where it's like, you know, is, is it a good job? Yeah. For many it is, but it wasn't for me. Yeah. And I would say that like every day went on, I just didn't, I didn't want to get out of bed and I, I don't think it's anything. I wouldn't put the words any more than that, but I didn't want to get out of bed anymore. Yeah. So at that point, I mean, in thinking of you've got Columbia and two Wharton business guys that all served as enlisted guys at Team 4 in the same task element, right, basically, or, or thereabout. Yeah. Were there any other guys from that, from your guys' kind of intimate crew that way that went the way uh, of, of elite business school, or was are you guys the three musketeers of that shit? A lot more. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so it was, um, there was two SEALs ahead of me at Wharton, and so when I decided to apply there, I reached out to them and they came from one of them. Chad was team four. Um, he was my, so my first platoon, there's probably like nine guys who went to 
some outrageous school like Oxford, Harvard, Wharton, Columbia, Duke, Tuck, Dartmouth, whatever. Who I don't know who went there. Uh, no, I'm, I'm literally in that one platoon. Oh, you're a one they, platoon. I'm, I'm telling oh, you, I, one I platoon. A guy went to Oxford. A guy went to yeah. Harvard. A guy went to Columbia. A guy went to Wharton. Like it was outrageous. That's, and it's all, all MBA enlisted. Program. All enlisted. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's the MBA wild. programs. That's amazing. Incredible talent. That's amazing. Yep. So but Wharton now, within at least within the SEAL community, like when we're there, we're like, guys need this. Like they need they need something. To, there was no transition programs at the time. It's a lot different now. Yeah. This is going back 2012, 2013. And it was like, yeah. shake your hand. Yeah. Show you the door. Playing. Thanks for playing. Good luck. Yeah. Um, so when we're at Wharton, we started basically trying to formalize a pipeline to get good good team guys to come through Wharton and get a good education so they could figure out the rest of their life. Um, So you see a lot of them coming through now. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Um, So how, if we can bring Sam in, as you guys know, uh, health and fitness is a big part of my daily routine and my lifestyle. I have a number of guests that come on that, uh, you know, that we talk about all all sorts of things, health and fitness related, uh, diet, nutrition, et cetera. Uh, I started taking athletic greens a few months ago here uh, for that reason is that it's a uh, all all encompassing vitamin and mineral supplement 75 vitamins and minerals uh, it's lifestyle friendly whether you do keto paleo vegan it's dairy free gluten free uh, less than one gram of sugar there's no uh, gmos or nasty chemicals there's no artificial anything in it uh, and it's just very nutrient dense and uh, and gives you that that supplementation that you need to combat cold and flu season coming up to bolster your immune system uh, and just help with a, with a healthy lifestyle. Um, right now, the, the subscription, if you sign up for it, comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which again uh, is, is crucial to uh, immune support, as well as five uh, on-the-go packets uh, with that first purchase. Um, whether you want to invest in, in your health or just supplement an, an already existing protocol that you have, uh, Athletic Greens has been a, a phenomenal staple uh, that I've added into my regimen, and I couldn't be happier to be working with them. Uh, if you want in on that deal, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash mic drop, um, and they they do a phenomenal job at uh, all the things that uh, health and fitness um, wise need to be done on a daily basis. So check them out. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash mic drop, and they will hook you up with that uh, special deal. All right. So now that uh, the three of you are on the casting couch, um, I'm one thing that we were talking about uh, as we were getting set up to get to get you three on at the same time was in that transition and uh, some of the dark places that you guys found yourselves in making such a hasty transition from in the thick of it on active duty and combat environments into, you know, elite Ivy League uh, business schools, you know, is difficult for, for anybody. But um, with that being such a contrast, uh, you guys all kind of, did did a similar path in terms of the the ibogaine uh, type type of treatment. I would love to get uh, a quick synopsis on uh, on what your guys' thoughts were from that. Yeah, uh, I was one of the first guys I think to go through it. I was like the I forget how I even came across it. Um, you know, we you, watched a podcast of uh, who was it? Jeff Boss. That's right, Jeff Boss, and then um, Jeff. It just led down the road with that, with Jeff Boss and doing the intro, and we we all knew we needed help in some form or fashion. And basically, doing this, went down to Mexico, spent a couple of days down there, and it was just uh, the, the people that put it together are just amazing. 
was an amazing experience, amazing environment. Is there kind of a highlight that you could pinpoint? I've had a, a number of guys talk about kind of the, the big process, but what, what's kind of the, the, the highlight reel that sticks out in your mind from it? it part of it, it was, uh, there was a lot. It was a, it was a long couple of days. You literally felt like you're stuck in this weird void of eternity. Time kind of goes out the window. Uh, but there was this one point where I was able to like see my whole life's memories and it was like a, f a digital filing cabinet and I could like swipe through it and like pull out memories and be like, oh, this is fucking with me because of whatever X, Y, and Z. Like I was going back to things where like something happened to me on a playground where a kid took my hat and I got in a fight and it must've been in like second grade and it was so vivid and clear. I was like, holy shit. And I was like, why am I holding on to this baggage? Like throw it. it was like, uh. What's it called when you do to like your decluttering? Computer? Yeah, decluttering. De defrag your hard drive. Yeah, 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 defrag your hard drive. Wow. That's exactly what it was. Rob, Rob could put this in much better words than I can. He, he has a thing with words that uh, I won't sound as intelligent speaking about it. Well, one thing I'm curious, uh, I guess this is for all of you, were, were there memories from early on in childhood or just at any point in your life that, that you had completely forgotten? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's bizarre. Like, you, you have memories of like when you're an infant, God, like in senior. Oh, it was so weird. It was, uh, and it's so clear. Yeah. It's like as we're sitting in this room now for me, at least for me, it was. Can you recall those memories now that vivid? A little, it, you know, it's kind of like waking up from a dream yeah. a little bit, um, but a little bit more clear. Uh, it's been years though since, what was that? Four, it was almost four years ago I did yeah. it. Um, I'd never had to repeat it, yeah. but yeah. it was, uh, it was intense. A highlight from your your experience so it's it's tough to say i think that i know what happens when you die and i think i know the meaning of life well let's talk about it right so which i mean it's provocative and it's it's language that doesn't make sense and when you say it words don't do it justice but i truly think that we're all tied together i think that we have a connection to every human and maybe everything that exists, that when I experienced it, I thought that it was love. And another word for that could have been energy. And another word for that could be God. And I didn't use that word, but like if, you know, I, I grew up Catholic and they said, God is love. What does that actually look like and feel like? And I think I felt it. And I realized that like we are connected and that everybody gets to participate in it. And I don't that that. I think life is unfuck upable. I, I think that we are into this together and we get a t-shirt with that on it. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that you're trying to unfuck America, right? <laughs> yeah. Unfuck America. I've I been think, trying. I know. Trying. I know. But I think that this existence is unfuck upable. I think that we are all here on a journey and all of our journeys are our own, yeah. but we are all part of one thing. And maybe that is God. And maybe we are, maybe we, we are God and you are God and I am God. And I don't even know it. Yeah. And if that's the case, this harmony or whatever, and why is there war? Why do we do these terrible things? When you get to put that baggage down and you don't have to be you anymore and you don't have to, the terrible things that I don't like about myself, that I shout at myself all the time and I tell, I'm terrible. You should have gone left when you went right. You shouldn't have done that. You were afraid that you were going to die and you did this thing. You should have been better than that. Like you can put that down and realize like, no, I was afraid I was going to die. And that's why I did what I did. And I was so hurt by the loss of my friends that like, that's why I had this kind of hate in my heart. And that's, 
you know, there was a reason for it. And I was trying to do the best that I could. And you can forgive yourself. Yeah. And then you can look, once you forgive yourself, you can look at other people and realize, oh, they're the same as me. Oh, I am them. Oh, like, oh my God, we're all the same. Yeah. And maybe this whole thing just happens again and again. And this whole experience is only just to see the joy and the amazement of everything all at once. And I can describe it, but you have to experience it. You know, that, the, that path is for yours alone. Like nobody else can go on it. And when you see this harmony in the things that could be, you turn into a different person and happiness and people who were like, you know, these, these terrible PTS cases were like, that guy was not functional and they go do it and they're happy. The next, like 20 minutes later, that felt like 10 billion years. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And what you realize on my journey, the only thing I'm supposed to do is do my best. So what is the meaning of life? Do your best. And so we're going to start a company and we're going to try to do our best. We're going to attack something that we don't like and we're going to do it in the way that we want, in a way that we think is right, in a way that we think is just and all of those things. And we get to do that and we can mess it up, but like it's, it's not good for lack of trying. And I think that this experience made me a better father, husband, person, friend, coworker, and I still have all my flaws. Like they're still there. I have my ego that I want to feed and I'm like, I'm a Navy SEAL or whatever it is. I, oh, I'm smart or I'm whatever. And that still exists, but I can put it down for a minute and try to be a better person and realize we're all connected. That's fascinating, man. I've heard so many uh, remarkable stories from people that have been through that. Uh, Sam, uh, do you want to throw your uh, two cents in? I think what you got from 5-MeO-DMT, I got from Ibogaine. And the, the, it, it forced me to feel um, proud to be human. Like you were literally part of a tribe again, but it was the tribe that's existed for two million years and will continue to exist. And that put everything in context, all your fuck-ups, all your concerns, all your worries, all your stresses, all your bullshit is irrelevant because it's part of a long chain of all those fuck-ups. And you fit right in with that tribe. And it, it, it and there were phases of like this masculine energy. I was running with these hunter-gatherers. There was a phase of feminine energy where, where most of my family's women, so I saw each of them and I just felt like that, that absolute pure accepting love. And the two met and it was, it was perfect. It, it was the perfect experience to kind of come off of what we were coming off of. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. It, uh, it's amazing to hear each each story while is unique and, and individual to to each one of you. Uh, there's kind of a, uh, a really amazing similarity in, in terms of the impact that it had and, and kind of big picture wise what you all took away from it, which is pretty amazing. Um, is there, from your guys' understanding, any uh, movement on having that shit done here in the United States or is it still pretty much fucking impossible? I mean, there's, we've all read up on it and whatever. I think, uh, I mean, from what I understand, Marcus Capone is vets and that whole thing is an incredible thing. I think it's absolutely critical for happiness and people doing their best. I think it's incredible the work that he's doing. I think that Johns Hopkins is studying it. MAPS is like an organization. They've been running trials for years and years. And unfortunately, there's a lot of negative connotation. I don't think that this is something that you should do for, uh, like recreation. recreation. This is not right. Rec- this was like the worst thing I've ever done and the best thing I've ever done. And I, I don't know that you really could do this at like a teenager or something like that. would be crazy. You need to do this with like help and therapy. And then you need to have an interaction. And I think that like 
Vets and Marcus Capone are doing an incredible job. And I think that like there's a bunch of people who really care about this and I, they're going to Congress. They're doing all the things that they need to do. Um, it really changes people's life. And I, I, I don't I know from, you know, coming from the military, that aspect, but I think just general depression. I think that this is probably good for I kind of want any everybody that I love to do it. And I think after real, I love everybody like yeah. it's that's what you're supposed to do. And like we block it with all of the things that all of our flaws, but I think it's incredible. It's empowerful. And, you know, I, a lot of people in the military, there's, I know so many people who have done it and how life changing it's been. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that exact same sentiment from everybody that I've talked to that's been through it, life changing and, and all the same stuff. Uh, so how did the three of you kind of come together? Was it after you went through that experience that you guys decided to start the company or? And, and tell and tell us about the company and kind of what you guys do. I'll, I'll pick it up here a little bit. Um, you guys hop in where you f want to. But at the time, uh, so after business school, Sam and I actually did a, a, a business together called a search fund where we try to go out and buy a company. And we had people back us. And you, once you buy the company, you go and run the company and hopefully grow it and then you exit. It didn't work out for us, which is fine. A lot of great lessons learned. We learned a ton. Um, so then I took a job at Comcast in Philadelphia and I was working there and I already knew some folks doing facial recognition technology. Our CTO right now, Tim Solzer, also a co-founder, freaking genius. Uh, me and him would always bounce back and forth on ideas of like, what's next? What can we do? But every time I seemed to turn on the TV or the news, there was another school shooting, another active shooter event. And then it kind of started to hit home. After the Parkland school shooting, my uh, the school district that I live in where my kids go to school, they started doing active shooter lockdown drills. My daughter was pretty upset from it one day. I was like, this is nuts. And I was at her school looking around. I was like, man, there's security cameras everywhere. I was like, wait a second. Instead of doing facial recognition technology, why don't we use these cameras and try to detect a gun? If we could detect a gun, then we could send that alert to first responders so they know what the shooter looks like, where they're located. Um, what type of weapon it is. And so now that you could get people to safety and you could decrease your response time to uh, stop that threat, get first aid in, stop the bleed, et cetera. So I called up, the, I called up Rob, I called up Sam, Dustin. He's another team guy that's on, on our co-founding team, Tim. I was like, yeah, hey, I got this idea. Everyone quit their jobs and moved into my basement a couple of weeks later and we self-funded the business to get it going like literally maxed out credit cards liquidated tsp took another mortgage out on the house the whole nine um and that was in 2018 so here we are going into our fifth year and the company's just been you know it's moving in the right direction and we're getting on more cameras and more opportunities to stop one of these events from happening yeah so it was originally kind of your idea yeah, so there's a, there's a long story. There was a zero eyes before the zero eyes. Um, another team guy that I know that I went through buds with, he was getting out of the teams, and he, he met some guy through like a Navy veteran connection, and I uh, lived by me, and he was like, hey, this guy has a company called Zero Eyes, and he's trying to use uh, basically Google Glasses to detect everything. So, like, you'd wear them, and it would say, that's a water bottle, that's a helmet, that's a camera, et cetera, like – something like Jason Bourne, like some, and I was like, no, there's nothing like, I'm not getting involved in this. But then fast forward a couple months, um, some of the people, like other stuff I was learning about computer vision and artificial intelligence. I was like, wait, let's do a hyper-focus on guns. We could do this right. 
like we, we this can work this can happen this could be a reality and so uh we started running with it like that so how, how much of uh from a technical expertise <clears throat> as it relates to the cameras and the ai and the algorithms and all that kind of shit did you guys have to play a role or learn drinking from a fire hose like what, what was the process of actually developing it it was drinking from a fire hose for sure um <clears throat> we knew that we needed in order to create a good computer vision model artificial intelligence model you need data and we needed a lot of data of guns and uh, at first we just did like a web scraping tool and pulled images off the internet and we trained our first model and hooked it up to a security camera on the back of my house and walked around with guns and we thought it was going to work awesome and it worked like hot garbage <laughs> we were like fuck um so then we went back to the drawing board and we're like wait our data sucks and it's like garbage in garbage out like you need good data well the one thing that we all have being team guys is a lot of guns so <laughs> we just started filming ourselves everywhere with guns and then we meticulous then we took those videos broke them down in a single pictures and then started annotating them like drawing the boxes around the guns to use it to feed into the uh, algorithm to help train the computer vision models and then we just a b tested everything They're like well what if we held it this way what if the camera's this high what about lighting what and we just kept messing with it it hasn't stopped we still do that to this day it's yeah. like we still create we have a whole ai lab out in philly it's like a big it's a green screen room so it looks like something like where you would film a marvel avengers movie there's 100 cameras in there we film ourselves in there with guns and we change the backgrounds and change everything up and and it go, all goes into our uh our data set still yeah it's wild um what was like i guess the <clears throat> general ballpark time frame from when you guys said okay this sucks we need to reinvent until you're like hey we fucking have something here and uh, and it works what was that that time span like i mean the answer to that is a little bit like what day is today um <laughs> But the, we went to a high school in New Jersey and we're like, where can we go test this? And we went to a high school in New Jersey every single weekend, every waking moment. Like, do you mind if we carry guns around your school and record on your cameras? Like, yeah, it'd be great. Like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> and that, I mean, we explained what it was, but yeah. like they were, they were super receptive, super receptive to like, this is the thought, this is the thesis, this is what we're going to do. And we have like kind of a working model team do you mind if we keep doing this? And then, you know, doing that for like two straight years of like every single waking moment. And then like, hey, where else can we record? Like, hey, there's a water park in Delaware that you come during the winter. Let's walk around with guns in a water park and record more data. And then you're just like, it's working here. And then like you do a different cameras. And I would say that high school in New Jersey, Rancocos Valley Regional High School, and like the team that let us in there and let us test and, you know, work with, Hey, how does this work? Let's go to the public safety answering point, the 911 call center. And seeing that chain of events, it's probably two years in, maybe, that you're like, this is awesome. This is working. Yeah. And so it's two years. It's two years. And so for for kind of getting the product to bear and, and getting it integrated into systems, can you kind of describe what the soup to nuts thirty thousand foot view looks like from somebody says, Yeah, I want this. How do you implement it? Right. So I'm in charge of the team that's doing that. So the, uh, we can either do it with a computer that's where you're at or a computer that's in the cloud. So it's somebody else's computer is the cloud. So I can either show up with a rack servers and put them in 
and process the images frame by frame and say, is there a gun in this image? So we can, the turnaround on it is actually relatively quick. It depends on how many cameras you're doing. But let's say you're going to go do 100 cameras. I'm going to put one server in there. I'm going to have a team go install that. Um, I could potentially just do it through the cloud and you don't have to show up on site. We don't use any camera but the ones you already own. So we're not doing anything else. We process the video. That server looks at the camera feeds. It ingests all of them frame by frame. Is there a gun? Is there a gun? Is there a gun? We don't add anything else that doesn't exist. And we have a monitoring center to verify that. So based in Philadelphia, we employ veterans to do it. And then based in Hawaii, we have two operation centers that do this. And so that's remote and we don't really need to do anything. So the time to implementation of that, we may have to order the hardware, but a lot of that is already ordered. I mean, it could be a couple of weeks and we, we need all the, the video feeds of all of those cameras. Yeah. And that's just like a, a, like a URL address, a real-time streaming protocol feed, RTSP. So you ingest those videos by the actual, like an ex, if we have all the cameras in Excel file, we can drop it in and do it very quickly. Yeah. People don't have that, but like to actually watch a video camera's feed, you just need like the address of it and the password of it. And that's it. And so I'm assuming this can be installed into, into any closed loop camera system. That's I mean, obviously the whole not point. just schools, but anywhere, right? Corporate America, school, I mean, you name it. And so, um, I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm assuming, but I'll ask, uh, with all of the kind of continual uh, foundational build upon that you guys do to, to just continue to refine and enhance the existing um, database or algorithm, it, how, how does that kind of continue to get uploaded? Like, let's say a school says, hey, we want the full fucking setup. They go do that. Does it get updated the, the way a Tesla would, would be? Or, or like, how does that happen? So, I mean, honestly, at that, we we'd have different models that we're working on all the time. So the in terms of like the AI space, we have an AI team that works on this all the time. We add different guns to it. So we built a green screen lab, like a Hollywood green screen lab where we record data of like where we're missing stuff. We go by every kind of gun. If there's some kind of model that we're missing, we add to it every single day. We record data every single day. We annotate that data. So you basically it's actually really, really manual and you have to like draw boxes around things. So like we have, there's a whole team, just AI machine learning team that's doing that every single day. Yeah. And then to actually implement that model is actually pretty easy. Remotely, we can talk to all of these things and distribute that very easily. But every single day our model gets better. So it's our like false positives base. go down and our good detections go up and the different profiles and the different camera features. But it's always gonna be, we are always limited by the cameras and resolutions and locations of a place. Yeah. So if, if it's like a 7-Eleven with flip phone camera technology. Garbage quality, in is garbage yeah. out. Um, as far as the, uh, <clears throat> I, I guess not just the time frame of, of what it takes to install, but uh, like for you guys to, to go do it, is there a kind of a ballpark of, of uh, how long it takes provided you have have the the stuff i mean is it a couple of days to a couple of weeks or like what if somebody says hey i want this how long is it going to take to to be up and running is there a ballpark i mean if in a perfect world like we have the the server already on inventory or if we're doing a cloud you could go do a couple hundred cameras in in a day or two oh wow yeah it's up and running real quick and then in terms of the the linkage to first responders police how does that shake out like let's say you install it in a school and it's during normal operating hours. Like what, 
what sets that off once, okay, the, the, the algorithm identifies there is a fucking active shooter. What happens software wise, network wise, you guys, how, how does that whole thing work? So once, so say someone steps in front of a camera view and they have, they have a gun, that, that alert gets sent to our operations center first. So we literally have a human in a loop that will verify. So that way our clients don't get false, false alarms. Um, and if it's real, we hit dispatch. That dispatch gets sent back to the client, but simultaneously goes to their local 911 center. Uh, and that's through a partnership we have with another company called Rapid SOS. Um, but they received that alert on the ZeroEyes mobile app and also the desktop, and it will show it on a map. So it will be a keyframe image of the person. The guns highlight it, so you could clearly see it, um, and it shows it like on a map, and we put like a cookie crumb trail. So if they were starting to move through the building and go into another location, as long as there's cameras there, we're still showing it. Yeah. So uh, the RapidEyes SOS, is that something that's pretty standard nationwide law enforcement-wise that like – Let's say uh, with your guys' technology and algorithm, a big school in Philadelphia versus a little podunk ele elementary school in Kansas, like is, is the so does the software have the ability to talk to law enforcement consistently? Like are they all on the same page that way? Yeah, and we, we, we do that part of the install process with the customer and get the local police oh, okay. roped in. Yeah. Um, because what we figured out, especially when we're at that high school in New Jersey, is a cop's never going to a cop when they're responding to something is not going to like pull out their phone and be sitting there looking at an app. They got their they got their weapon out. They're, yeah. they're they're focused on what they're doing right in front of them. But they do listen to intel coming over, actionable intelligence coming over their cop mic coming from a nine one one operator. That's when we realized that we needed to go into the nine one one centers, also known as a PSAP. Um, because that 911 operator, they see the alert. They could be like, hey, it's a 510 white male, appears to be an assault rifle, northeast corner of the main building, which is important because when he's without zero eyes running right now, there's an active shooter event. It's just like hundreds of frantic 911 calls, bunch of conflicting information. The cops are responding as soon as possible. They have no idea what they're going into. It could be a hundred acre campus, and they're like, where the fuck is this person at? Like, yeah. uh, we have no idea. Yeah. So we're just really helping provide a, a clearer picture for that. Yeah. From a, like somebody that's listening that says, you know, Hey, I own this business or have, you know, I'm pr uh, principal of the school or what have you in terms of uh, funding, do you guys work with or get any type of grants or federal funding to, to help put into public school systems or public buildings or how does, how is that going? Sam, you want to hit that? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we don't ever want money to be a reason why people can't buy our software. Um, especially schools, if you have an interest in keeping your kids safe, we will find you money. And we have two grant writers on staff to help find that money. Every state has a ton of money left over from COVID. There's ARPA money. Um, there's a million grants for security. And uh, we help people find that just to make sure they have the opportunity to buy. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what, I mean, is there an average cost or is it just so dependent on size and scope and technology, the equipment they already have? Is, is there a, even a range? It's uh, there's a couple of levers we can pull. So it depends on the camera count. So we charge per camera. Okay. So if you're going hundred cameras, it's going to be very different from 2000 cameras. Yeah. A one year contract is going to be different from a five year contract, but it's between 20 and $50 per camera, depending on how you break it up. Is that per year? Or? Uh, per year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems pretty, pretty reasonably priced. Um, so if it, anybody that listening that, uh, you know, wants to get this information to either their local school board or, uh, you know, whatever entity or industry that they're in, what's the best way to, to kind of get a hold of you guys and, and get that process going? 
Yeah, check out our website, uh, zeroeyes.com, Z-E-R-O-E-Y-E-S, no eyes, dot com. Um, and, and reach out. We'll get back to you soon. Okay. Is, uh, is, is there a time frame process from when somebody says, hey, I want to do this to when it's up and running? Is, is there a, a range timeline? I mean, is, is that weeks or months or does it just depend? A lot of it depends on the client side, how quickly can they move, and yeah. we will adapt to that situation. But what are we aiming for right now, Rob, on the operation side? I mean, my goal is to close stuff in 30 days, but, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it just depends on this area. If it's a massive thing, it could be different, but. Yeah. Is there uh, any the, any clients or customers that you can mention, or is that more of an NDA kind of, they don't want to, they don't want people to know that they're, they're running your technology, which I could, I could certainly understand, like. It's a, it's a mixed bag. Uh, so Sam's our chief revenue officer and deals with the sales and marketing. You know better which clients have said. Uh, Man, actually, I actually don't even want to. I don't even want to risk it right now. A lot of commercial <laughs> clients don't want. Yeah, us I can to Publicly state it, but we can put it on the website. So how if you go to the website, you'll see a bunch. How many states are we in? Like, we're in thirty states. We're in three countries right now, oh, but shit. we're still dealing with the best kept secret problem. So we're in thirty yeah. states, but there's still people who are like, "Your technology exists." Yeah. But why, why didn't it exist twenty years ago? Yeah. The more people who know about it, the the faster we're going to get to fifty states. And yeah. Millions yeah, of cameras. Awesome. Yeah, we're in schools, we're in healthcare systems, we're in places of worship, we're in casinos, gaming, we're in shopping malls, commercial properties, warehouses, we're on military bases. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Well, it's, uh, it's really, really cool technology, super smart, and uh, you know, I'm honored to have you guys here and, and proud as shit that three knuckle draggers from the East Coast uh, <laughs> you know, went through business school and are doing what you're doing. It's fucking awesome. I, uh, I'm really proud of you guys. It's really cool. Thanks, uh, I, I do have something for you guys. This is a new tradition. You guys are actually the first uh, first to receive it. I've got a, a friend slash supporter out on the West Coast that uh, is working with a, a custom uh, metallurgist, I guess you'd call it, uh, to produce these uh, these gifts for guests. So bear with me. You guys don't come across as people that uh, necessarily dress in this attire, but uh, the, the company is Champions Choice Silver. So each of you get one of those. Can open them at the same time here in a second. It's like Christmas. Ooh, it's weighty. And uh, as well as the the same same uh, guy, John. I, I appreciate your support. I'll maybe even bring you on one time. Uh, coins with uh, with the emblem of both my company and the uh, and the Mike Drop podcast on it, which is pretty neat. But very cool. Feel free to open open the box up. Oh <laughs> shit! Look at this. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. You guys can uh, show the show the camera. So this guy uh, makes these these custom really really cool belt buckles, which you know here in Texas. Those are a little more common than probably Philadelphia, but even even that much more reason to wear them there, I guess. But uh, so it's a, a mic drop custom buckle, and and I really appreciate uh, the support of the company and and them doing that. So beautiful, very cool. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything you guys want to uh, add before we wrap up? Thank you. No, thanks for having us on, yeah. and this is awesome. We we're going to have some stuff back to you. We're because we are knuckle draggers. We totally forget. <laughs> we have a bunch of swag and we have our own coins. Oh, um, good. Man. So we'll get it to you in a minute. Yeah, no, it sounds great. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. It's a fascinating journey um, to me to you know to kind of encompass what the the SEAL community, special operations, even military wide community. Uh, you know, to have three guys that that you know I've never met or you know we've we've never met, to, but to be able to sit down and and share life experiences and hear you guys, um, you know share all of the different uh, experiences that you've been through and, and what it's meant to you and, and your path, not just in, in such uh, diligent and respectful service to this great country, uh, but also what you guys are doing to continue to serve uh, both yourselves, your families, your communities, and your country with uh, the company that you guys 
have created is uh, is truly inspiring, and and I appreciate the hell out of them. I'm really proud of all three of you guys. So, uh, thank you for coming. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, choke yourself. And uh, <laughs> until next time, this is Mike Drop. was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo taking release. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's G-O-L-O.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who have found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.